Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to Podcast Like It's 1992, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1992 here from our perch in 2023. I am one of your hosts, Phyllis Cove. And I am your uh, special guest host, Emily St. James, sitting in this week for renowned uh, award-winning podcaster, Daniel Day-Lewis, who uh, is re- is retiring from the game. Uh, really? So last I week was his last episode. Yeah, he's gonna. He's just. He's gonna be a cobbler again. I'm the. Back? I'm the first of a series of rotating guest hosts. Like Makes you know. Sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, with us today, Brian Cogman. Wouldn't you it be something him? though if Daniel Day Lewis did have a podcast? Like, what the hell would that? That be? is. I was It'd thinking about that. Like, what would he, that would be? Like, what if he just had like like the armchair expert with Dax Shepard? What <laughs> if Dax Shepard handed that off to Daniel Day Lewis? I actually suspect he would be like a very good listener and well, like give a be very thoughtful with his questions. It's From interesting all I've heard, because human in real life, he's lovely. He is lovely, and I remember when I went to see Phantom Thread. There was a you know one of the guild screenings or whatever, and there was a Q and A with uh, with uh, Paul Thomas Anderson afterwards. Mm. And Daniel Day Lewis wasn't there, but he was talking about how Daniel Day Lewis loves reality television. Like oh, it was just great. And I was just like, now I'm just like, we need to have a podcast that's just him talking about, I don't know, one of the below decks or something like that. Well, he's, like the, yeah, he's like watching The Bachelor. Like, I, I don't I don't think she's there for the right reasons. <laughs> you know, that's yeah, my daily that's Lewis impression. I don't know what he actually sounds like. I don't know what he actually sounds like. One thing that I like. I'm thinking about like, like obviously watching this movie, this is like the one time Daniel Day Lewis kind of tried to be a movie star and he could have, he could have crushed it. What, but then he was kind of like, I just want to be this guy that comes out of hiding every three years and does one of the great performances of all time. Then goes back into hiding. And like, 
what if he wanted to be the world's biggest podcast star? Like, what if he was just like, this is my passion. This is what I want. I'm, I'm going all in. He He could could absolutely do it. You know, who was it? I think it might've been, Oh, it's uh, Adam Sandler. Adam Sandler and him are like text buddies. <laughs> I, I, and, and I'm just like, that just makes Wait, me like so Commiserating happy. over P.T. Anderson? Or, or commiserating about just anything? I think that Daniel Day-Lewis, to spite, despite the fact that he obviously is one of our greatest recluse actors, I think he's probably like a pretty normal, funny guy. Like I watched his, his uh, acceptance yeah. speeches for his Oscars. Oh, they're lovely. They're, they're lovely. They're self-deprecating. He's yeah. obviously very articulate, very heartfelt. Like, I think that he's just a very, he's a consummate actor who believes in dedicating himself yeah. <laughs> wholeheartedly to performances. But I, yeah, I, I, I really do think, and this, to your point, Emily, watching this film, which, spoiler, I had never seen before. Um, I have never seen Last awesome. of the Mohicans. This was my first watch of this movie. And um, it, it's it's been a pretty big blind spot for me because I do feel like it's beloved. It feels like it's one of those kind of staples of uh, not just of Daniel Day Lewis's career, but of Michael Mann's career. Like it was this big movie, and so I hit play on this, and I was just like, oh, so this is just like straight up smoldering Daniel Day Lewis. <sighs> like from credits to credits, this guy is just like, no. you will, you will, you know want to make love to me i mean it's just all more so than any other performance of his like i'm looking at his filmography right now and i'm like oh no it's absolutely singular in that regard for sure i mean emily do you have you know i know he's your husband so i'm just sort of curious as to you know i i I, this is obviously the hottest he's ever (laughs) been on screen but like i kind of i kind of i think he's really hot in fucking phantom thread which just like is like a weird thing to say given where that movie goes. But like, yeah, I look at him and I'm like, hmm, I could, I could yeah. do this. I could make this happen. Yeah. He's, appe- he's appealing as well in the crucible In the crucible. He's, he's sort of, he's sort of halfway there, but John Proctor's, very dirty, you know, and he looks like yes. he smells and his teeth are gross. And like, he's it's, cheating it's, on his wife tough. with a child and all he's that. He's cheating on his wife. Yeah. Although he met his wife, his actual wife on the crucible. Yeah, Rebecca Miller. Yes. Um, which I think is uh, very interesting. I, you know, I, I tweeted this as, as I'm sure you both saw um, about, is this his hottest performance? For the most part, everyone was like, yes, this is the one. But yeah. I do love the Joe Reed past and future guest uh, chimed in with my beautiful laundrette with a gif of him like licking sure. a man's neck. There's, there's early, <laughs> yeah, room with a view, not room right. with a view, light as a being. Yeah, which, yeah. Are, which are all very yeah. sort of like sure. sensual movies. Yes. But they're also sort of um, outside the box a little bit in the sense of of the of the kind of um, uh, sensuality that he's bringing to the roles. Like I, I look at a room with a view, and I'm just like, you can be into that performance. I'm certainly not saying you that it's you know sure not allowed, but like it's a little outside the box. I think um, my my wife is just she sits behind me and listens to what we say and then slacks me things. She's just rattling off how <laughs> Daniel Day Lewis is disconcertingly hot in every performance. Like, has there ever been a hotter Lincoln? Like, I don't think of Lincoln as his hottest performance. I mean, apologies. Like, what a hot, what a hot and, and fucking Lincoln. Lincoln. You know? yeah. No, that's true. That's yeah. true. I, I do. Well, think, you know, what it is. It's a mag. Yeah. It's a. I'm sorry, Phil. It's a magnetism. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. like that. I think I agree with Libby in in, in, in yes. all of his performances. 
you know, be it uh, my left foot or or even you know Bill the Butcher. Yeah, there's a there is a dynamism, a sort of like there's a, there's a there's a there's a thing, whether it's hot or sexual, I don't know, but it's very primal that, that exists Absolutely. in all of Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting because um, we are doing uh, Dracula in a few days, so I rewatched that today, and I I. And, you know, listen, Daniel Day-Lewis was on the short list of, as he is on everything, of being Dracula in that movie and all that. Sure. Wow. But, which that would have been something. Would have been interesting. Yeah. But I do think that Gary Oldman's another guy that both of these guys are just deeply watchable. Like, you can't take your eyes off of them as to what they're doing. And mm-hmm. I think that part of it is because so much of it feels slightly atypical because you're just like, what are they doing? Like, what what is, what is happening here? Especially, I mean... Gary Oldman takes some pretty big swings in his career. And I think that you you look at Bill the Butcher, which is obviously a repulsive character. And yet at the same time, you you know, you can't help but be drawn to him. Like you just, you want to go on whatever journey he's taking you on. This is the most overtly kind of heroic role I think he ever did. I could, I could fix Bill the Butcher. I could (laughs) fix him. He and I could run off together. Yeah. <laughs> that is undoubtedly uh, that's incredible. um but yeah i i yeah i mean he he is he is he is a i mean he's essentially playing not to, uh, sort of to jump ahead here but he's essentially he's playing a superhero i mean the character is. is a superhero the, the character yeah. is the most is a perfect fighter a perfect mm-hmm. uh uh lover a, you know right yeah. on the sort of right side uh philosophically about everything like like there's a it's kind of a, a, a an amazing magic trick that the movie pulls off and this is this goes to other discussions about the movie you know um at its core it's a very simple old-fashioned story that given the artistry of everyone involved becomes something elevated but you know the character arrives fully formed and apart from falling in love and finding his his soulmate it doesn't even really go through any and, 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 and suffering loss, of course, doesn't really go through sure. any kind of arc or change. I mean, he's a fully formed kind of perfect being, which is he really surprising is. because the movie feels compelling and you feel like you've gone on a journey. Uh, but unlike maybe other characters in his in his career, uh, it's not like he goes from point A to point B and, you know, quote unquote, learns something. He's he's as old fashioned a hero. My favorite movie is The Adventures of Robin Hood with Errol Flynn that I've talked about sure. a thousand times. That's another example of a character who, you know, Errol Flynn's Robin Hood in that movie arrives fully formed as Robin Hood and is Robin Hood at the end. And the arc is made Marion's. And it's not dissimilar to this movie. The arc is Madeline Stowe. I, yeah. yeah. You know? I really, I really think about the the Mike Lee film Happy Go Lucky whenever I see a movie mm, like sure. this, which yeah. is like that's a movie where the Great protagonist movie. is not the character who changes. The, it's right. about how does the world shape itself around the protagonist. And 100%. Last of the Mohicans is is very similar to that in that it is like here's this guy who's just going to like cut through everything. Mm. What are you going to do about it? And there's something 
there's something refreshing about that. And I, we'll talk about the literary roots of the character. Absolutely. I'm sure. But like, yeah. yeah. I, 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 so well when put, I tweeted yeah. this the other day, um, Matt Zeller-Zeiss replied to me and said something that I thought was really interesting. He said, one of the interesting things about this performance is that on paper, it feels very much like an 80s funny asshole hero who's mm-hmm. right about everything and is constantly showing up the snooty people. But Daniel Day-Lewis gives it soul and vulnerability and turns it into a very sexy real guy. Um, mm-hmm. He also goes on to say, uh, the best description of DDL in Mohicans is still from Entertainment Weekly, Owen Gleiberman, who routinely was killing it back then, he said it was a performance that seemed to be completely free of 20th century neuroses. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, and he also absolutely. said, I love that absolutely. I love that Daniel D. Lewis brings the same level of obsessive detail work to an action hero that he brings to everything else. Nobody in the entire history of movies has run like that guy. Uh, and it's it's true. Like I I I really do think that. It is fascinating too, and it's worth kind of looking at uh, the Daniel Day Lewis Michael Mann thing too. Like these are two guys who never worked together again. Um, this was a notoriously um, tumultuous production, we'll say. Yeah, uh, it was it was expensive. It went over budget. Uh, we'll talk about some of the you know that stuff, but these two guys for all intents and purposes do make sense together, right? Like these are two sort of very idiosyncratic, uh, you know, art first, you're going to play by my rules guys. And from all accounts, at least from what I've read, they didn't necessarily, they got along. Like they, there wasn't friction necessarily between the two of them. Yeah. Um, but the, the, the Michael Mann of it all, because I, obviously I was looking at, at his filmography and this is kind of an outlier in his filmography as well. You know, he doesn't thematically not so much, but aesthetically, he he doesn't go this period really ever again. I mean, Public Enemies is a period no. piece, but like he doesn't go this far back. No. And it is interesting as to sort of he's talked in interviews about how I guess he saw the original Last of the Mohicans when he was a kid and it left a really big impression on him and one of his favorite films and an important movie for him. So I guess I'm sort of getting at that, like, this doesn't feel like an overtly Michael Mann movie. Do you guys, how do you feel about it in the sort of the Michael Mann-ness of it? Oh, I think it's tremendously Michael Mann. Movie. Well, yeah, okay. it feels very Michael Mann to me in a lot of okay. ways. All, of his, ahead, all of his visual flourishes are there. Sure. The ways in which he's slightly, like, the action sequences are probably slightly more visceral than, you know, what you might see in, like, um, I don't know, Collateral or, uh, you know, when he's shooting on digital sure. video. But, like, there is a there is still a detachment and a distance to them. I'm thinking of that long shot of the two sides shooting at each other. Mm-hmm. Um, that is just a gorgeous image. And like it gets right down to at that last scene where Alice is about to jump off the cliff, a gentle rain starts to fall. This this movie's like super super in man's wheelhouse. It is very much him trying to make a blockbuster, which I think mm-hmm. he doesn't do often but like it is it is a mode that he plays in and i think it is kind of full of his his trademarks yeah for me just to piggyback on that i yes i i think that if there if there are two um traits to a lot of his films there is an a sort of um what's the word environment is very important in all of his movies yes and specific environment uh and how that informs character theme just all of it uh and 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 you know you can look at heat and any frame or even just if you think of that movie you you feel the environment of that los angeles of that time and with those people you think of this movie you think of those woods 
you know um and and i think also the kind of big uh archetypical maybe is the wrong word, but maybe it's the right word. So let's say it's uh, these sort of symbolic kind of characters. I mean, you know, heat heat for all of its sophisticated storytelling is also in many ways, a very unsubtle movie. I mean, it's, you know, it's like we're two sides of the same coin kind of, you know, um, symbols. And there are symbolic kind of uh, characters, sort of elemental characters in this thing. So yeah, like obviously that the period is very different, but um it seems to sit well. It seems like a good transition. I mean, I guess this would have been what between Manhunt, Manhunter, and Heat. Yeah. So he does Thief in eighty one, The Keep in right. eighty three, Manhunter eighty six. Yeah. Then this in ninety two. That's a pretty big gap. That's a six year gap. Mm. Um, he was doing television. Probably doing the television. Yeah. And he was yeah, he did a bunch of pilots. But it's an interesting like bridge from Manhunter to Heat with this. this well, this yeah. feels like the you know? success of this movie. And we'll talk sure. about that in this, uh, is a bit of a blank check. Like I do, Manhunter was obviously successful to a certain degree, but I think this movie, to your point, Emily, did what he was trying to do, right? Which is to show I can be a big studio guy. I can do these type of movies. The, the more we talk about this, the more I think this has like kind of two other things I think happens a lot in Man. One of which is it is really interested in masculinity as mm-hmm. like a symbol Mm-hmm. like this is very much like if you're looking at heat that is like what do men want right now and this is very much like what are what are men aspiring to be like this is american hero archetype this figure from you know american literature so yeah. who are men who are american men trying to be who are we trying to live up to we're trying to live up to, to hawkeye and i think i guess we'd be remiss if we didn't mention uh, that scene when Daniel Day-Lewis jumps through the waterfall and Phil Collins in the air tonight starts playing like that is that is a big Michael Mann like that it's was a like very big yeah. Michael Mann. I, I do you know it is interesting you know I I didn't mean to suggest that this doesn't feel like a Michael Mann movie but it does feel like a a, a concerted effort to do something he hadn't really done before. He'd only made three films previous, right? But this does feel like, you know, I want an action hero. I want big, sweeping, swelling score. Like this mm-hmm. score, which is incredible, and we'll talk about it, you know, in more depth as we go along. But like, there's something very old fashioned about this movie. I say that in the best oh, possible yes. way. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Whereas Michael Mann, at least for me, and I, I would argue for, essentially the rest of his career really feels like a tip of the spear technological guy, a guy who feels very much sort of on the, on the pulse of modernity, even when he's doing an alley or even a public enemies, it's still, sure. you know, there, there's something very much like he wants to be on the forefront. And this movie feels in a lovely way, very old fashioned, almost, almost David Lean esque in, in sort of the, the the sweep and the scope of it i think if you look at those three films he made after thief and his work in television he's trying to figure out how to make a hit that will buy him space to do other stuff as long as he's kind of staying in the genre he's playing in like the keep is not a very good movie i don't think but it's like a horror movie like that's that's a genre that that's a genre that hits um Manhunter, very much a crime procedural serial killer thing. Um, it doesn't hit, but like it's a good movie. And so, like, this is very much like, okay, what if I did, you know, the big sweeping epic romance thing 
but also kind of kept that focus on masculinity and like that is what clicks and that gets him heat and like he even though it's kind of a flop gets him his career until you know hollywood stops making movies based on (laughs) right (laughs) i mean it should be said that like he was was not a flop he made almost 200 million dollars on a on a 60 million dollar budget it was a disappointment when it came out just in terms of like what it had been hyped to be yes yes yeah I think that, you know, not to say stuff that people, you know, I'm sure listeners already know, but, you know, that movie, and I remember it vividly in 95, the first movie, De Niro and Pacino are going to have scenes together. And and it it did feel like Heat and Casino both kind of came out almost on top of each other in a weird way. I think both of those films had sort of enormous Oscar, like, expectations attached to them. And both of them, I think, to your point, Emily, quote unquote disappointed at the time that they weren't these kind of you know seismic movies they are and i would argue have proven that over the over its their legacy but at the time i think that people expected something different but you know i i I do want to sort of just give a little bit of context for the people that have not seen last the mohicans the last members of a dying native american tribe the mohicans forgive me i am these names are are not the easiest to pronounce is it uncas Uncas or Uncas, Uncas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his father, Chingcha Chingachuk. There you go. Okay, my apologies in advance to that. Uh, and his adopted halfway brother, Hawkeye, played by Daniel Day Lewis, live in peace alongside British colonists. But when the daughters, Madeline Stowe and Jody May, of a British colonel, are kidnapped by a traitor scout, Hawkeye and Uncas must rescue them in the crossfire of a gruesome military conflict of which they wanted no part: the French and Indian War. The Last Mohicans opened on September 25th, 1992 against Sneakers, Captain Ron, Mr. Saturday Night, Singles, and of course, the Mm. Mighty Ducks. Uh, It would go on to make $143 million on a $40 million budget. That's 93% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics, 88% from audiences. Rodrigo gave the film three stars and said, much has been made about how how authentic The Last of the Mohicans is, about how the cast learned wilderness survival skills and how every bow, arrow, canoe, and moccasin was constructed according to the ancient ways. That's the kind of publicity Cecil B. DeMille used to churn out as if he had created a brand new world from scratch like God. Man's film is quite an improvement on Cooper's uh, all but unreadable book and a worthy successor to the Randall Scott version. In Daniel Day-Lewis, he has found the right actor to play Akai, even though no other role played by Daniel Day-Lewis would suggest that. My left foot, a room with a view and my beautiful undrep. Les Mohegans is not as authentic and uncompromising as it claims to be, more of a matinee fantasy than it wants to admit, but it is probably more entertaining as a result. And the Washington Post classified the film as quote-unquote glam opera and the MTV version of gothic romance. No, Don't whatever. you love back in the day when they just slap on MTV on anything? That's like, such a, that's, like, that's that that is, such a reductive idiotic. That's, that is the thing that tarred, that Michael Mann kept getting tarred with until yeah. like he, because he made yeah. Miami Vice. Miami. Yep. And he didn't even direct yep. it. He was just like the visual producer. And people were like, that movie... Brandon Tartikoff described that as MTV Cops. Therefore, uh, Michael Mann, MTV Cops. Um, Forever. That is so idiotic. Forever and ever. Can I just say, can I just, I know that my job on this show is to drag us back to previous topics for no fucking reason. But like, can I just say something about Casino, which is, of course, the thing we're talking about in this episode? You know how when Martin Scorsese says something about Marvel movies where he's like, I just don't like them. And people are like, hey, fuck you, Martin. Like, and then they're always like, he just makes a bunch of movies about white guys who do crimes and they're boring and they're not interesting. <sighs> Casino is kind of 
is kind of that. It's the one movie in, that I, I like but it. Like, oh, it's a yeah, good, good movie, point. but I'm kind of like, <laughs> I get it. I get where you're coming from. Yeah. It, you know, it's funny. It, I, I do think that, um, and, and obviously this is not an episode of Book Casino, but I just want to get this thought out there because I do think that there's something interesting about the Goodfellas Casino comparison because it was inevitable and it happened in 95 when the film came out. And and I actually don't think the films are all that similar in terms of their thesis statement, in terms of sort of uh, what they're doing and trying to say. And I do think it's interesting, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, well, this is going to be the one, right? He didn't win it for Casino, for, for Goodfellas, but he's given us Casino and he's going to win all the awards. It doesn't really get nominated for anything, even though it, I would argue deserved a fair amount of below the line nominations, but this is all just to say that I think that that movie, which I have watched a handful of times, um, gets more and more powerful for me. The more I watch it, it's, 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 it's a very dark, um, it's much darker than Goodfellas. I would argue it's much more nihilistic than Goodfellas. I mean, Goodfellas is, is, uh, is a, is kind of a, um, I don't want to say it's a romp, but it's definitely like a lot more adrenalized. Goodfellas is just, fun to watch. Goodfellas yes. is even as it's going to really dark places, you're having a great time. And and Casino definitely feels like him interrogating that desire within himself. Mm-hmm. But I don't, you know, I don't always I, want I, to see that. I get it. <laughs> I mean, and what's interesting too is like it comes off of Kundan, mm-hmm. um, you know, which is sort of like Kundan's next. Like Kundun's ninety seven. I fucking yeah, and the only reason I know that is because I fucking love Kundun. It's like one of my favorite Scorsese, which is the most the most Emily thing to ever have been said. <laughs> I so I you do know another think, movie that's really fun that goes to dark places is is Last of the Mohicans. Yeah, I know it is. Yeah, I, no. I, I was gonna I was gonna pivot us back there, Brian. Don't you worry. I actually I was I. This is a movie where it got like no tech nominations, which is ridiculous. Which is crazy to me. I was literally just yeah. No, apart that. from its win for sound, but yeah, it wins for sound because yeah. of. And Emily texted me this. They they mic those kisses so perfectly. I mean, the so sound. much smooth. Well, the sound is incredible. I mean, this, it was the first time I was aware of sound as a thing. <laughs> sure, was watching sure. this movie. No, truly, was, I, I, yeah. I and and I watched it on a VHS. Yeah, uh, yeah. fucking old t- television in 1993. <laughs> I. And the, I, the crickets, the locusts, the, yes. the all of it. The fucking gunshots. The gunshots. I run this podcast that has a romance at its center. And so we had to have the two main characters kiss. The hardest fucking thing in the world is to have a sound of a kiss and have it not just make you crawl out of your skin in disgust. And just watching this movie, I was yeah. like, no, that is what kissing sounds like. So I'm convinced <laughs> the Oscar was for that. I do also think. And I, I, I feel like it needs to be said. I know that it's been said a lot online. The mixing of Michael Mann's fucking movies drives me mental. I, I literally have to ride my remote because his dialogue is mixed really low and his action and score is mixed really high. Did you, and did you with this one too? I did a little bit with this oh. one too. <laughs> um, and, and I do find that it's it's kind of the Chris Nolan school of, of sound design. That's where he is. got it, yeah. That's where he got it from. <laughs> yeah. Of this kind of, you know, you have to kind of work for the dialogue a little bit. And I don't even know if it's intentional, but like there's something about uh, the sound design is so in the forefront that, yes, it clearly won sound design. But I do think, to your point, Emily, Dante Spinotti's cinematography is ex- just exquisite 
Most of it shot with natural lighting. Most of it shot with just natural everything. Um, you know, the fucking score, which was, and, and it's worth kind of breaking this down for, for a quick second, because I guess there were two composers. There's Randy Edelman and there's Trevor Jones. Randy Edelman was the guy who did the first half of the film, the score of the first half, and then him and man didn't get along. So Trevor Jones, sorry, it's the other way around. My apologies. Trevor Jones was first. Trevor Jones was brought on to do a more of a a traditional man electronic score. And man realized very close to the last second, oh, wait, this needs to be full and orchestral. And Edelman was brought in to supplement. And the soundtrack was was released with Jones Jones tracks first, Edelman's first, but that isn't how they appear in the movie. It's kind of a mix. But yeah. Well, yeah. so for what it's worth, this and again, I'm not questioning what you're saying. I'm just going to read yeah. what I found online for what it's worth, just so that it's out there. When the film was pushed back from its original summer release date in 92 to September, composer Randy Edelman was brought in to provide additional music after Trevor Jones could not return to the film due to other commitments. Right. After having written about 50-50 minutes of music to rework the score from the film's original three-hour cut. Edelman was would provide about 28 and a half minutes Edelman was then in charge of assembling the music for the new cut of the film, which clocked in at about 114 minutes, which included Jones's music. Edelman's and all the source material by Daniel Lenoir and Clanad. Jones and Edelman did not work together on the score, which is why their names are separate in the credits to one another. The subsequent soundtrack, as you said, separates them as well to some degree or another. Then, according to Randy Edelman's 1996 Film Score Monthly interview, he came on board because of creative differences between Jones and Mann, uh, which forced Jones off the project. The movie was over budget. There was a mess with the studio. The only reason Morgan Creek got the rights to not just the music and the album, but all the overseas rights is because the whole situation was out of control. Yes. <laughs> so, so it, it no, seems as though it was... But yeah. that's, exactly, that's exactly right. The, yeah. the creative differences were that he originally said, do an electronic score. <laughs> yes. And then he was like, actually, no, orchestral, big. Right. And then he was like, but fuck you, result, I got to go do this other thing. Yeah, Fucking great. As a, and, but now it was ineligible for the Oscar nomination, unfortunately, because they're a weird, or I don't know if they still exists, but they were weird. You can't have two composers. There was also working together and, rules or something. There is a, a an old Irish song or some sort of an old. Well, yeah, the promontory that is a, is sourced from a folk thing or which something. i think might have also made it ineligible mm, um yeah, so i think that sense. there's like there's stuff there so good but it's an amazing score what did you think of the score Evelyn? i i watched it and felt like i was watching a movie trailer i mean like that this 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 <laughs> score has been reused so many times like sure. yeah I, I watched this with my wife who had never seen it before and she was like mm-hmm. this score is incredible and then a few minutes later, she was like, I feel like I've heard it before. And like all of these mm-hmm. cuts have, yeah, have just been used. It's like kind and of figure skating, figure skating and figure oh, yeah. skating. Yeah, all the it, time. Is, it is. It's what's amazing is how undeniable it is for as many times as you've heard it in other contexts. Mm. You know, there is some film music that gets, uh, you know, becomes sort of uh, sapped by being used absolutely everywhere. Um, I, but, but, yeah, but yeah, this movie, sunshine, 
Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. 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 Sure. I think um, some of uh, Randy Newman's stuff that's gone, you yes. know, left it. Now I can't even remember what movies they originated in because it's or like his natural score, which the is very good and sure. still works yeah. in the natural. But like, but yeah, this this thing where like the themes of this movie have been used so many times, but they still maintain their power within the movie. You know, that's that's like John Williams shit right there. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's a, a really impressive piece of work. I texted Phil like last night and I was like, Jesus, I'm a minute and a half into the movie. I'm already crying. And it was literally from the opening shot of the fucking mountains with that music. It's just, again, it's that, it's what I was talking about before. Like, like here you are, this is, this is, I'm presenting a time and place and a, and a, and a mood to you. Like you, you are in my hands now. Do you know, it's so bold. Um, It's also very confident. You know Uh, what I mean? It is, it is interesting, you know, on the man of it all and to sort of piggyback on what you're saying, Emily, about him being like, you know, I got to make a hit for lack of a better way of putting it. Um, to have that level of confidence coming into like, the, you know, as a viewer, you are in good hands, despite the, you know, despite the fact that like sure. there's, you know, this big score and it's a love story and it's, you know, it's all this kind of stuff. Um, it never feels like it's, uh, looking down its nose at his audience or playing for the cheap seats or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, it is very much a movie that is like painstakingly crafted, but not in a way where it draws attention to it, but in a way where you can't help, but keep looking at it. And like, mm-hmm. it's, it's so, yeah, I don't know. I think, I think some of it is just how much, I mean, this is me pivoting to a topic I want to talk about, but everybody in this movie's hot, and you know what? I'm mm-hmm. I'm good with it. Like, I think I obviously like sure. a thing that is important to romance is that the people are attractive. I most important is that you buy their chemistry, but the people I don't want to say being attractive in the sense of like you know conventionally beautiful, but like attractive within the milieu of the movie. Obviously, Daniel Day-Lewis, Madeline Stowe, conventionally beautiful people, but they like work within the milieu of this movie Mm. in a way that, say, they wouldn't if you set this film just randomly in like 1940s Vermont or something like then they'd have to have like a different thing going on. So, yeah, I, I, I think... I don't know. I'm just imagining Michael Mann being in the editing bay of this for this movie and just like nodding to himself proudly and being like, this movie's a hundred percent babes. Just like, cause it is. Oh, sure. I also think that, um, you know, and this has become kind of an adage that you see a lot in film Twitter and what have you, but you know, uh, actors that look like they've seen an iPhone Mm -hmm. and and admittedly (laughs) iPhones didn't exist in 92, but still there is something about Daniel Day-Lewis and Madeline Stowe that, that seem believable in this context that you completely buy them in this world. um, That's so vitally important. I, I, you know, David Lewis is obviously a chameleon and Madeline Stowe, who I, I want to talk about sort of her filmography a little bit, because I never, I, I don't feel like Madeline Stowe really got her due. She's been no, in a bunch of movies not. that are successful, but like, it's a bummer. Cause like, I'm, we're going to yeah. talk about her again, Emily, uh, when we talk about Unlawful Entry, uh, which also came out in 92, which is sort of this uh, thriller with uh, Ray Liotta and, uh, and her, and forgive me, I don't, oh, Kurt uh, Russell. Russell. Russell um a good movie from what I've heard I have not seen it yeah um but you know she she's in revenge in 90 with Costner um she's in that terrible two Jakes movie the the remake or the sequel that is of of uh, Chinatown uh she has an awful entry last the Mohicans then she's in like 
She's in Shortcuts in 93. Again, a great movie, but like an enormous ensemble that like, you know, hard to kind of really stand out in. Uh, China Moon, Blink, Bad Girls. I mean, I think the first time I really noticed her was, <laughs> yeah. There's was where it 12, starts to, ooh. was 12 Monkeys in 95, oh, sure, which, yeah. she's, which she's great in. Yeah. Um, and that was probably the first time I noticed her. I was about 15 when it came out. But then again, she never she really followed it up with anything. We did a General's Daughter episode in 99, which is a atrocious film that i can't even why was she murdered i I can't even begin to unpack it why was she murdered but i you know but then like the next thing that she does that kind of brings her back to kind of life a little bit is she's in the show revenge which was a pretty big hit for its first season or two was that Um, coincidence title i think it was because it was based on um what's the thing that's based on emily was it uh, Count of Monte Cristo or something like that? Yeah, it's it's oh. that it is a it's a it's a revamp up. I think Count of Monte Cristo. Ooh, I should have been yeah. watching that. <laughs> yeah, it, the first the first season of that show is fucking fun, and then yeah. they're like they don't know where they're going. Sure. But you know what? Sure. That first season is just great. Yeah. So. Yeah. Still ran for eighty nine episodes, though. but yeah. So it's it it is she is one of those actors to go sort of back to the Madeline Stowe of it all. That I'm just like she just. Hollywood didn't know what to do with her. They kind of did her dirty, and and well, and you know, women in in I mean, shocker, you 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 have a couple of flops, and it's bye. It's you know, you don't get the other chances. So no, she's really good in this, you know. though. and it's interesting <sighs> that she initially turns down this role because she thought that it was just going to be an action movie. She saw Michael Mann's previous films, and she's like, "This is going to be just a super, you know, testosterone-driven action movie." And he came back to her and was like, "No, no, no. This I really actually want to do a big sweeping romance." And I, I mean, there is a moment in this film when, and I want to get the the dialogue right because if you're going like, to you're going to quote the dialogue that I think is probably my. What are you looking at, sir? I'm looking oh, at you, miss. That too. And it is fucking fireworks like they are not even they are just looking at each other and i'm just like this is so fucking hot there's a a thing that went around twitter several years ago i want to say i'm gonna credit to two people who i think were kind of core to the discourse but linda holmes and alana bennett um Mm -hmm. were sort of talking about how what is most important in a romantic comedy is not necessarily how conventionally handsome the leading man is but how he looks at the leading lady mm-hmm. or you know leading man if it's if, if it's a, a queer rom-com but like just that romance is so i'm thinking about other great screen romances i've loved and like the way that leo and kate look at each other in titanic yeah. it works even if those two actors despise each other it always works if they can look at each other yeah. like they cannot wait to just they're like like there's yeah. like they have seen a thing that they have never seen before and will never see again there is and if the camera loves them as much too oh for sure like like man's camera adores them both in that moment that you're talking about like when when it holds on madeline stowe looking down and then meeting his gaze and And, then looking down again and meeting his gaze they they have just the smallest (laughs) smile at each other like it's just an acknowledgement of like oh this is gonna happen like if there's an inevitability to this and we are barreling towards yeah, each other to the, point where the, to the point that when they meet later in the square it's like yeah we're doing go, this right, right? <laughs> like it is it is the, the unspokenness emily that you're referring to of just that i mean there's no other word for it but just like intensity that that, that simple chemistry that i that um wordlessness 
that can exist on screen. I think that's a thing movies can movies can do that no other medium can because TV, it gets cheapened by familiarity books. Obviously you can't see the two people, two hot people looking at each other with just like, Oh my God, who is that person? Something only the movies can do. And you know what? Now that movies are so fucking sexless and passionless, there's so little of it. I just want to see good looking. (laughs) Just look good at each other. And that's a, it's a, that's a, that's a great observation too, in terms of kind of what, because I think what this movie is more than, and look, it's, it's a, it's an adventure and it's a a historical drama and, 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 you know, there's a, I'm sure we'll get to this, like the way that man took a, a very archaic, uh, you know, in many ways, wrongheaded book and, uh, deepened it, recontextualize it it and deepened its historical and cultural, um, uh, elements is, is fascinating, but, but above all, and I think this probably goes back to his, uh, having said that he was inspired by, by, by the fact that the 1936 movie was the first movie he ever saw Mm -hmm. the movie. This movie is more than anything, a movie about movies. I think to your point, I think it is just, it is about what cinema can do and how you how it just how it evokes when it's working and firing all cylinders how it evokes primal feelings mm-hmm. you know whether whether it's because these because so much of this movie is really an incredible exercise in action or you know um romance chemistry like sort of these elemental things that uh make up cinema because so much of it is just is just kind of a I'm, I'm not phrasing this properly. Well, the the story's good, but the story's very simple. It's really more just kind of the journey of it and the experience. It's the experiential thing. No, I, the, I totally you know agree. What I mean? Does that make sense? I do. I, I think no, for sure. I think there's something also. Yes, and and to kind of piggyback on that, I do think that this movie is trying in its own way to kind of deconstruct stereotypes and archetypes yes. and, and sort of preconceived notions of a movie of this ilk. And I think that, you know, for 92, you know, it's, it's, it's relatively effective in terms of, you know, there were over 900 Native Americans were used, you know, were act, actors or extras in this film. Um, it was important to man to make sure that he wasn't, um, you know, making the mistakes that had been made of previous interpretations and of the book, like making sure that he was doing his part. But I would also say, too, you know, Madeline Stowe's character, you know, Cora is you know, for the period and for the time that she's existing in is, is, is kind of a badass and kind of, oh, she's you know, incredible. she's, she's breaking yeah. all sorts of, uh, you know, gender stereotypes that exist for that character as well. So I do think that the film's doing a really good job of kind of deconstructing all of these kind of mythos and that stuff too. But and I think she's the best know. woman in man's filmography. Oh yeah. I mean, I mean, <laughs> oh, yeah. I think, yeah. yeah, well, true. I mean, I don't think he's, he ever had a, a leading lady going toe to toe with one of his kind of, uh, I can't think of one. No, I think, I I think the runner up is fucking Gong Lee and Miami vice. Like, right. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or maybe, um, I mean, uh, what's her face? My God, I'm forgetting her. Will Smith's wife, Jada Pinkett in, uh, in Uh, collateral is, you know, there's, there's, 
something sure. there. But again, like, I, yeah, this is where we're obviously we're Natalie Portman in Heat. Like, we can't forget Natalie. Portman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Stan yeah all those crazy, all those crazy characters Diane Venora plays and his his pair of uh, movies. Diane Venora in The Insider is maybe yeah. one of his worst performances. Wow, one of his but, worst but she's but yes, she's just. I mean, she you know because yeah, Daniel Day Lewis is sort of presented front and center. Yes, um, it's certainly in the marketing. But uh, but it's very much a two hander. I mean, so much of it the movie very, much. very very much in her point of view. You know, it checks in with her equally. For sure. And, and to your point earlier, Emily, um, yeah. and obviously I'll let you speak on this. But uh, a part of it is that she actually has an arc. I mean, she actually yeah, grows right. and changes. Uh, Hawkeye doesn't really learn much. Yeah, yeah. This movie really feels like both man and Daniel Day Lewis saying, "We could do this. We choose not to." <laughs> <laughs> very much like Daniel Day-Lewis being like, I could be the biggest star in the world. I choose not to. And Michael yeah. Mann being like, I could make traditional, like, like grand ripping epics uh-huh. with successful female characters. I choose not to. Yeah. I mean, they're just like, we did it. Like, we, <laughs> we've yeah, done that the, now. Yeah. I'm sure with Day-Lewis, that's the case. I suspect that's the case with most of the roles he takes because he's so choosy. And Well, I, you know, I, I kind do of, want to kind of unpack that for a quick second here because i i want to kind of talk about the the post last of the mohicans daniel day lewis filmography is fascinating before we do that before we move yes, on can please. i just can i just read the the dialogue that's my sexuality it's yes. because it's it pertains to madeline stowe it's when it's when they're talking it's in the in the woods and they're hiding out mm-hmm. and she says it's not as it's not as i imagined it would be thinking of it in boston and in london and hawkeye says sorry to disappoint you and she comes right in and says no on the contrary it is more deeply stirring to my blood than any imagining could possibly have been. <laughs> it is. It is a millimeter from a Harlequin novel, right? But like it's it is. So it's so good. It's but, amazing. But the way she the, but, again, like, because yes, on paper that's a bit flowery. Still really, I think it's still really quite good. But yes, it's true. She just she almost throws it away. She sells yeah. the shit, you know. Yeah, but it's yeah. but her but her gaze is fixed on him, mm-hmm. like like oh no 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 this. This is, I'm alive. Anyway, that's that no, scene I, is my I, I could, my I sexuality more. I mean, and then I, on top of, sorry, Emma, please. But. I I really keep I kept watching this and wondering if it was sort of a proto Titanic because it has a lot sure. of qualities in common with Titanic. It's from mm-hmm. the same studio. It's got mm-hmm. some some of the same like we're gonna have this particular director with a sure. recent Oscar nominee, mm-hmm. kind of really like uh, uh, up and coming young act starlet. Um, sure. Yeah, I don't know. I it's, think I, I yeah. I do think that the, and it's the oft quoted line of this film, as you have done many a time, Brian, but stay alive, no matter what occurs, I will find you is a James Cameron line. Like that, that is, yeah. you know what I mean? Like that. I think that's in Avatar, the way of water. I, my wife was, my wife was, was doing something when that scene yeah. played. And I paused it and rewound. And I was like, Libby, you Libby, you have to watch this. She was like, I heard it from the other room. I was like, no, but you have to see it. Yeah. And she was like, are you, did you become a 12-year-old girl again? What is happening? No, you have to see it. And then I played it for her. And I think that she also had a similar epiphany. <laughs> it's well, just, yeah, it's, it's great. It's so in your face. It's, again, it's, it's. <sighs> On paper, it's it's probably it, 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 appalling. Maybe I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But but it's so again. It's the sincerity of it. I I think if yeah. if, if you just if you just commit to something like that, <laughs> you know. But I also um, we're talking about the, the players are so. It and you care about them at that people. point. You care about them too. You care absolutely. So, but like in lesser hands, 
him oh, saying, I will I find know. you, and then <laughs> jumping through a fucking waterfall, you would just be like, this is garbage. Yeah, yeah. And yet with these players in this scene, the way it's shot with this fucking gorgeous you know, waterfall mm. lit behind them, all the stuff in that cave behind the waterfall looks fucking stunning. <laughs> these are the two most beautiful people that are just, you just, it, it, it all works. But to your point on paper, it could be disastrous. Like it, it's just, it's, sure. and that that's, I mean, that's a testament to, to, you know, what they're doing here, but yeah. um, I do want to talk about yeah, just Daniel Lewis. Lewis. Sorry. Thank, I no, don't apologize. You. Uh, in 93, he's got age of innocence and in the name of the father, both coming out in the same year. Um, age of innocence, sort of, again, a notoriously uh, maligned Scorsese film when it came out, everyone was just like, why, where are the guns? I can't, yeah. I don't fucking know. And it's I mean, like his best movie. It's a great fucking movie. <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's a really, re- and he's great in it. But again, like deeply reserved, right? Like this is just, this is it's a polar the most opposite. polar yes. opposite. He does in the name of the father the same year, gets an Oscar nomination for that. Uh, 96, he's got the, the Crucible, which had a lot of expectations. Everyone was like, this is going to be the movie. And then like it flopped and no one saw it. And yeah. And it's and it's uh, only okay. As a, I mean, it's, it's only okay. good, but it's it's not great. I watched it when we did uh, our one on a rider, um, yeah, screen draft, and I was just sort of like, "This it's, is fine." It's a good document of a great play, but sure. eh, yeah, yeah. Uh, then the boxer comes out in '97, a movie I actually kind of want to rewatch because there's a part of me that's like, "Is the boxer low key great?" I don't know the answer to that, but maybe it is. Yeah, it's a good movie. <laughs> it's a good movie. Uh, and then he goes away. He's a cobbler. Uh, mm-hmm. says he knocks on his on his shed and says, "Please play uh, Butcher Bill." Um, and after much uh, consultation, I'm, I'm just picturing Scorsese now, like in a little <laughs> a little village in Italy. Is it Italy where he found himself cobbling? I I just I got, imagine I got a picture being... for you. I also need. <laughs> I... I also, do you have anything in a size eight? A size eight. But then I've got a I picture. Just... I'm imagining the end of fucking Force Awakens, like uh, Martin Scorsese <laughs> climbing this enormous staircase, and like Daniel Day Lewis turns around at the top, and Scorsese like hands out like a sledgehammer. Yes. <laughs> a sledgehammer. It's just like the, the thing is, he's a he's a butcher. He's a butcher. <laughs> so he does go to New York in 2002. He then goes away again for another five years. And then Paul Thomas Anderson, you know, Mm. uh, convinces him to do There Will Be Blood in 07. Somehow, this is the biggest outlier of all, as far as I'm concerned. Somehow, uh, Nine happens. It's a movie that I I don't don't know. Everyone wants to do a fucking musical. I don't care who the hell you are. I guess. And he was just like, let's do it. Let's do it. I'm going to do do the I make it the pizza accent. (laughs) That movie is... I, I honestly, it gunned to, to to people's heads if you walked down the street and said, did you know there was a musical that starred every Everyone. female actress at the time and Daniel Day-Lewis? They'd be like, no, did, 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 did not was, know that it exists. That was like Harvey Weinstein's big Oscar play that year. And then just yeah. like nobody... It was the big Chicago like, follow-up. It was the big Rob Marshall yeah. uh, Chicago. And it doesn't, it doesn't exist. Part of it is fucking Nine is not a great musical. I don't know no, why they were adapting it in the first been. place. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. So he does nine, and then again, you know, uh, Spielberg walks up the mountain. Um, and well, and that's says, the fascinating stuff. I mean, have you seen like the letters? Because he just was, like he kept writing him letters, being like, "Stephen, I can't do it. I mean, you must stop asking." 
I, it was one of those award shows where fucking Spielberg came out and read like the ninth rejection letter from like, beautiful, like beautifully written, just like very, you know, just like I really labor because I guess when you put your whole soul into something the way the man does, you have to really consider what it's going to do to you and your family and your yeah. psyche and and, and he was just man. like, I can't do it. He's, he's, like, he's too great a man. It's too big. The responsibility is too great. Yeah. Do it. And, and, you know, it is it is fascinating. I, I would love to know what it was that eventually convinced him. Yeah. I mean, clearly it's not money. Um, my, my guess is that, I mean, I know that, that Kushner's script for Lincoln went through many, many, many iterations. Yes. Um, and, and my assumption is that once it perhaps became a little bit more finite and focused on a particular, it maybe felt slightly more mm. possible for him to do it. I don't know. Sure. But, I think sure. I think that like Bill the Butcher and Daniel Plainview are specifically American, dark American archetypes. And I think there is a ver- there's a thing in his Lincoln that is obviously Lincoln. Lincoln was a real person. I don't know if people know that. Like that, that's Ooh, true. There was a real Abraham Lincoln uh, <laughs> okay. and Daniel Day-Lewis apparently played him fairly similarly. A lot of people don't know about it. He was the 16th president. Um, he one of the more <laughs> obscure like ones. Trump right now. <laughs> right, a lot right. of people didn't know. I hear, I, and I hear he's doing very well, Lincoln. I hear he's doing very well. But I... I do like like there is a quality to Lincoln that's archetypal. And I wonder if he was like, I want to tap into this. Like, I want to tap into this thing of like, because every role he did from like Gangs of New York on, it felt like that was his last role. And like Lincoln felt like a real capstone. You know, I think Phantom Thread's a better capstone, but like Lincoln really felt like it certainly could have been. And then you're right. I, mean, I think I wonder if it was those scenes because the, the the most thrilling scenes for me in Lincoln and Lincoln's a great movie. I I mm. think it's just about perfect. But the the most thrilling scenes in that movie are two of those. Well, really, one scene that kind of it's that it's that um it's that fight between him and Mary Todd about about the death of their son and when he put her in when he when he essentially committed her for a minute that really it's not what you think is going to happen in the lincoln movie do you know and i I wonder if 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 it was i don't know the addition of those kinds of scenes that it it does you know who who, i mean we'll we'll never know i'll I'll say this i i mean obviously we're all very thankful that he did it you know it was this was a passion project just Spielberg's for a very long time many money actors were you know, considered for it. Um, now it just sort of feels like, well, it couldn't have been anybody else. Like, I don't know mm-hmm. the fact that anyone was ever considered. I I remember when it was announced as Liam Neeson, like in two thousand. Oh yeah, and for a I while. was so excited for that because I love Liam Neeson. I wanted to, you know him mm-hmm. and Spielberg to work together, and and then it okay. comes back together, and everyone's like, Liam Neeson's out. I was like, oh, but Daniel Day Lewis is in. I was like, ooh, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the moment that that announcement came out, I think everyone was like, well, okay. This this sure. this is to, to your point, Emily. Like yeah, the caps we'll be fine. <laughs> and I and I also I listen. I'm not convinced that Daniel Lewis has done acting. I know that he retires after every performance. Um, I'm sure. Hopefully, there will be something that brings him back out again, and 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 he can give us another performance. I love Phantom Thread, and if it is his final performance, then so be it. Um, I, I the the mythos of Daniel Day Lewis I find kind of fascinating because it feels like, um. It really is between the boxer and Gangs of New York. Gangs of New York feels like the first time because he's a cobbler and there's all this like, you know, you know, whatever. Sure. Everyone's just sort of like this guy's he's off the reservation. He's done. We're never going to see him again. And and it's it's those performances that feel sort of it's it's Bill the Butcher, Plainview, Lincoln. Those are the ones that feel sort of people. Like, people yeah. talk about him like he's acting John Wick, where it's just like <laughs> he's out of the game. <laughs> 
you don't want him back in the game. He'll destroy everything. And then he <laughs> comes so back true. and like wins an Academy Award. <laughs> It's well, so and, true. And, you know, the, the reason this was a one of the many reasons this was such a formative movie for me when I first saw it is sure. the first time I was aware, like, like just sort of conscious as a young budding actor uh, and cinephile of of the chameleon. And it was it was this it was that I would have seen this. I wouldn't have seen this in theaters. I, I saw it on VHS, but I saw this Age of Innocence and In the Name of the Father in very close succession. And had seen clips of my left foot because the first Oscars I ever watched, I vividly remember, was the 89 Oscars. And I remember just thinking, these are three different people. These are three different people. This is before I even read about all the kind of shenanigans and the stuff that sort of sure. distracts a little bit in some ways from from kind of just what he what he can do. Um you know, even just even if you just zero in on 93 with Age of Innocence in the name of the father, I mean it, it was just uh it, it just it, and then the fact that man bring back to this movie the fact that he saw in my left foot and thought that's the guy i want for is so unbelievable it's I, you, you know, know i do want to get your i mean you are a thespian uh you 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 consider yourself laps as you should be laps but still you know the theater i do and i i, I bring this the up theater. just because i do feel like daniel day lewis is for all intents and purposes, uh, the actor people think of, right? When you look up actor, he's the sure. guy you would see in the dictionary, right? Yeah. And part of that, I think, is because of the stuff that you talk about being distracting, which I would agree, but which is his his sort of mm-hmm. his method, right? Mm-hmm. And and I do think that, you know, um, uh, oh my God, Jeremy Strong, who was sure, sort of a, kind of a, a, a protege of his, yeah, right. Yeah. And and I think and and he obviously subscribes to a similar kind of method and what have you. Um, and I can understand if you are an actor who does not subscribe to this, it could be annoying to be around. That sure. being said, this film, you know, he went to extremes to prepare for the role. He lived in the wilderness for like six or seven months. <laughs> like he he did all these things. You know, he 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 lived off the land, hunting, fishing, he all how to that reload stuff. powder whilst running. Correct. He did all these things. And I, I guess my question is a long-winded, uh, you know, uh, walk to it, but do you, I guess ultimately it's all about whatever you got to do to get there. Right. And every actor has their own way to kind of get there. You know, do you, do you subscribe to this kind of method stuff? I mean, what do you, oh, what do you think of? Well, my, my philosophy about acting is all when I was one and is always whatever works for you, do it. Um, right. You know, uh, yeah, I'd say people who 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 use these methods, the um I, for me at least as someone who now has to produce and work with them, the results better. Be great, yeah. The results better be what <laughs> Daniel Day Lewis is doing. If you're going to put through everyone everyone through this, and I'm not entirely sure everyone um who yeah. uh, uh goes this way mm-hmm. always knows what the hell they're doing and it's I, more of a you know it's a mask oh. for actual lack of technique but i'll allow it for daniel day lewis yeah I, you I, know. I, I mean it's it, it it's it's the classic uh, ops example is fucking jared leto you know who will do the joker thing and yeah. male yeah, is, male con- like used yeah. condoms to yeah cast. and you yeah. know i i do want to be clear that his house of gucci performance is one of my favorites of all time so like sometimes it works <laughs> but <laughs> 
yeah he i think he said he ate all he ate was like tomato sauce for like i mean it was just the most cliche ridiculous okay it's now i like... really want to see that i i missed house of gucci i really want to I, I, uh, I, brian i'm uh, brian no, i, I want to see it i will send you the world's greatest edit it is from that film it is yeah. oh please um I, but yeah so you know yeah. look i think if every actor was like this it would be it, we wouldn't make the movies couldn't be made but i mean day lewis is truly an outlier i mean he's just one of those you know he's just one of those exceptional uh cases and, and what's interesting about him you know uh classically trained i believe went mm-hmm. to I want to say he went to RADA, either went to RADA or Central School or one of those major uh, institutions, did a lot of Shakespeare and then famously, uh, you know, played Hamlet in 1989, Mm -hmm. crippling stage fright and has never been on a stage since. So he National Youth Theater applied for a five year. There are a lot of theater at the Bristol Old Vic. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, yeah, he was like he he does his he does his his Hamlet. I believe Judy Dench played Gertrude in the production and apparently it was incredible. And he's never and he's never because I I wonder if if his process that he developed over time, it's just not sustainable eight shows a week. Well, so, you know, to to, to unpack this for you, uh, playing the title role of Hamlet at the National Theatre in London in 1989. He left the stage midway through a performance after breaking down during a scene where the ghost of Hamlet's father appears before him. This was his last that appearance on stage. Yep. Just like, <laughs> I respect it. It's like, he's like, fuck he's like, he's like so, I can't go there. I can't see my father's ghost eight shows a week. so fucking good. I love this. It's got to be, it's got to be movies where, where the very, you know, the very, the, the process of, making a movie i don't care how in into it you are sure, sure. it is literally antithetical to actual human sure. experience i i you hope know? i hope people at that hamlet performance saw that happen and were like who's Amazing. this guy think he is daniel day lewis <laughs> but i you I mean I, I think that the way you put that um brian really does kind of it does make sense because for a guy like Daniel Day-Lewis, an actor like this, who yeah. is the only way he can get there is by truly inhabiting this thing. To do that no. as many times in theater, I mean, it's just not possible. Yeah. Um, it also explains why, you know, he notoriously stays in character. Um, even when he goes home, his wife has had to live with all of these characters for nice. for, many, for many years. Um, you know, I, I don't, can you imagine your dad just turns into Butcher Bill for no, nine I, months? No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't care for it. Have I wouldn't you ever care seen, for it. Have you ever seen The Ballad of Jack and Rose? I no, I need to see that. The movie it's, he made. It's, with it's, quite, yeah. it's quite a good movie. It's made by his wife. And he plays like, he does play kind of a, uh, he plays kind of a Daniel day lewis character, but he's like a very kind and loving father. And I was like, I see what you did there, Rebecca Miller. Yeah. I see, yeah. see what that was. <laughs> yeah. So That's can we some get, really good can mind. We, can we get this guy for like, <laughs> just a, a little while? time? That's funny. <laughs> that is. Yeah. Really I mean, funny. and, and you know, but yeah, I, I, I just think, uh, it's it's funny when I was when I was a young budding actor and the earnest student like you know the goal was well I want to be that kind of actor and then very very quickly I was like oh no I don't and a, a I'm not capable and B I wouldn't want to be that and then I as a writer and producer one gains more of a I think I think you probably understand this both of you like you gain more of an appreciation a true appreciation for someone like say George Clooney who yeah. Where 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 a persona and different notes within that persona is just as exciting 
in its own totally. way. I also, uh, you know what I mean? I, so, it, yeah. I think it also should be said that, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis is, is pretty, um, uh, he could take the piss out of himself. Uh, I think that, you know, he's talked a lot recently. There was apparently uh, he allegedly quipped at a local <laughs> North Carolina airport when they were doing Last of the Mohicans. He said, I quit smoking, but this film made me start again. Like, I do think that he <laughs> is aware of himself. He's aware of, you know, what he puts himself and his fellow actors and his wife through um, in order to get where he wants to go. And, and yeah. I don't know, I think it's pretty great. Uh, there's another couple, you know, just little tidbits that I think are worth talking about. The costumes were originally designed by multiple Academy Award winner, James uh, Axon, but he left the film and had his name removed because of artistic differences with Michael Mann. I think you can start to see a pattern that starts to emerge. Sure. Uh, Andy McDowell was originally considered for the role of Cora. Um, she might have been great. Who knows? Brian Cox was offered the part of Colonel Monroe, which would have been interesting. I think he could have been, you know, whatever. Um, and then apparently Richard E. Grant and Hugh Grant were both considered for the role of Hayward, uh, oh, which which I think is interesting. Um, I do think the the actor they went with with Hayward, I mean, a thankless role in the sense that you are. Yeah, he's he's great. <laughs> Stephen he Lyons, is. He's terrific. He's yeah. very, very good, and, and his and and the the tragic end of his character is actually oh. really powerful and, and yes. works really well. Yes. Um, but when you're the guy proposing to Madeline Stowe in Act One, it's not going to go well for you. <laughs> basically, what I'm that's brutal. That scene. Yeah. Yeah. So, Although, if you're gonna be if you're gonna be dumped, it should be in a gorgeously lit field, yeah, natural sure. light, with a nice little picnic yeah. table. Yeah, if no. you're going to get dumped, yeah. Um, I want to talk for a quick second, and this is this is a classic Michael Mann-ism in the sense that there are multiple cuts of this movie. Um, there is the theatrical cuts uh, where Hayward tells Hawkeye that he will have him beaten from court. Hawkeye responds by saying, someday I think you and I are going to have a serious disagreement. Right. But then in the director's expanded cut, that line was cut, but then Michael Mann put it back in for the director's definitive cut. <laughs> Wait, 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 wait. Say it one more time. Sorry, I, I forgive me. I missed. So there's that line where right. Hayward, where Hawkeye says to Hayward, you know, Sunday, I think agreement. Yeah, right. That got cut from the intermediary cut. There was oh, yeah. a director's expanded edition, and that cut is terrible. Which I hear, and and Man hates it too, even yeah. though he Ugh. shepherded it. But then he did another definitive cut, which is the one that's basically everywhere now, and it's the one that everyone kind of refers to as the one. He put that line back in. And yeah. they're all like they within a couple it. minutes of each other, right? It's weird. It's weird. Yeah. They are, but that middle one, that middle one cuts some great stuff. The mm-hmm. score doesn't quite sync. Mm-hmm. Fingachuk has a much longer speech at the end that completely uh, ruins the beauty of that moment because it's just too, it's just too damn long. It's he's talking sure. too much. Sure. Um, mo- almost all of that stuff rectified. The, the cut that exists now is is great. You know, my. My wife and I have a long-running joke about the film No Country for Old Men ending with the with the line. It doesn't end with this line, but we think it should end with the line, truly, this was no country for old men. And like, <laughs> this movie kind of ends with truly, I am it's the so last close. of the Mohicans. Yes. So, yeah. Yes. It's right there. It's, yes. It is so close to saying, I guess I'm the last of the Mohicans <laughs> Um, so just to hit some, you know, we, we've obviously talked a fair about um, about it, but there's a couple plot points that I wanted to hit. Yeah. The movie starts incredibly well. That whole opening chase with them chasing the buck and that score is so propulsive. And you just immediately understand 
what this movie is going to feel like, like from the jump, it's just sort of really, you just, it's in the pocket. Um, I love that opening sequence. It pays off. So, I mean, it's, you know, they're, they're hunting at these key moments and and, and at the very end, it's just structurally just, anyway, sorry. There there is no, no, don't apologize. It's, it is a really, um, you know, one of the themes in this movie that I really loved was, and it, and it does tend to be, I guess it's a little tropey when talking about Native Americans or Indigenous people, what have you, but their their respect for the land, their respect for um, their thankfulness for, you know, when they, for the food that they're given and, and the animals that they have to kill in order, like, it, it, it is all sort of this sort of beautiful, quote unquote, circle of life, however you want to call it. And I think that this movie does that really subtly it's not a you know it's not ham-fisted um but it opens with that beautiful shot across you know and and it ends with that shot of you know what's to come and it's nothing good in terms of just the raping and pillaging of the land that we that we live on um so i appreciate that this movie sort of bookends with that notion i think is is really is really great yeah, I mean, you know, he took this this book that is 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 hard to read. I think Mark Twain called it like the worst book ever written or something. <laughs> <laughs> like it's it's been disliked for a very long time. True. Um and uh and you know, it the movie the movie uh notes that he, he even credits the 36 screenplay as as source material. Um because I think the the love story elements are not in the book. Um but he he does this you know amazing thing with it and like it, it's not I don't think it's perfect in this regard and it's still ninety two it's still a white man writing the story it's you know I think there's there's um, Russell Means writes a, a very good, there's a very good essay you can find where he wrote about doing the film at, at the time for Entertainment Weekly um, and you know Russell Means was a famous uh, you know indigenous activist he hadn't acted yeah. before. And um, he credited the movie with, you know, even though in some ways it's still as backward as any of as any other movie about, you know, from Hollywood about Native Americans, uh, he essentially credits it with with the indigenous characters being human beings with emotions, flaws, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, shades of gray, uh, um, uh, agency, uh, and he. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. There's and and the reason I I think of this is because you talk about that that ending shot and 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 sort of kind of what it portends. And, you know, I think one of the most powerful changes man makes to the source material is he 
he you know in the book uh uh hawkeye kills magua and in this film he has chingachuk face off against yeah. magua and yeah on its face it's father avenging son's death and of course that's part of it but there is such a profound sadness between aching sadness between the two characters and the two actors during the fight and it's it's just it, it just absolutely you know punched me in the stomach this last time i watched it it doesn't feel like a badass moment at all it's it's this sort of this sort of it's like these these two these two um tribes have been because of the circumstances of our invasion of this land forced you know into a circumstance where they're killing each other um and it, all of that informed in again what is on paper a sort of uh a very classic damsels in distress movie um and and he manages to find so many moments in terms of the adaptation and of course the character of magua which is a whole other discussion um his and and, and west Sudi's performance and his motivation yeah. the fact that he is able to take what you know on paper is a very tropey um story with very stereotypical uh, uh depictions with if, if you read the book and and as best as he can with a story about a white man, you know, raised by indigenous people, you know, make it feel, um, uh, make it feel like it has some verisimilitude. If that makes sense. I, I, I have, uh, I'm going to just preface this by saying I've never read any James Fenimore Cooper. I read a, like an excerpt of one of his books in my American lit class in college and was like, never have to do that again. Um, but, uh, <laughs> I, th- you know, obviously the character is this, this american racist stereotype of here here's this guy who's raised by native americans so it's the best of both worlds he has all this knowledge of the woods but also he's a white guy so naturally right. he's superior etc that's like the james fenimore cooper idea yep. i was trying to figure out like this movie obviously plays into tropes that are problematic and that we still struggle with today and that you know i think we we have a, a better at least I have a better understanding of them today than I did in 1992. But like at the same time, it's not like Hollywood is completely over them in any way. That said, I was sort of trying to figure out why this movie sidesteps a lot of them. And I think it comes down to three things. The first of which is it's about a tribe that no longer exists because Chingachuk mm-hmm. is the last of the Mohicans. And uh, so there is kind of this element of, you know, we're not actually stepping on people who are currently alive. It is that Daniel day Lewis's goals are almost entirely tied to other white people. It is very much about like, I'm trying to Mm -hmm. save these two women. I'm trying to, and the other native American characters are caught up in this political struggle. That's exemplified in these two women, but it's not necessarily about the tribes. And the the third one is just like, this movie is very smart about the political reality of this time. It's very smart Mm -hmm. about, this is a war between the French and English that these tribes have been sucked into as proxies mm-hmm. and like they don't really have a choice in it. So it is it is unusually nuanced for the period. And I think it is actually pretty nuanced for what like Hollywood might make today sort of in this this big. Well, especially, you know, yes. you know post Dances with Wolves, which is only two years previous, mm-hmm. um, a, a movie that, you know, probably isn't as nuanced. I mean, again. I it's seen it, it is it, it at the time it was sort of like held up as here finally and like i think it is the same thing that russell means was talking about it's a film that treats native americans like people um it is definitely 
it has not aged as well. I will say that, but like it is, it is a movie that is uh, trying a lot of the same things. Um, I would say. Yeah. Means means in his essay basically says, and I, I don't, I don't want to, I, I, I'm paraphrasing, but he basically says like he felt dances with wolves had its heart in the right place, but fumbled yeah. the ball and that this one more for the most part gets, gets it right. He, he, he does reference two things that he brought up with Michael Mann in production and was overruled. He says one of them is, and I'm I'm forgetting the actual term, but the, essentially the loincloths that the natives wear. He's like they're too short; they would never be that long. And the argument was, well, this is how they look in the paintings. And Russell Means' response was, yeah, you mean all the paintings that the white people white painted? Guys. Sure, yeah, exactly. Um, but he was overruled on that. He says he says ultimately, I think it's just it's again it's this sort of this sort of uh, stereotypical. We want to see more of the skin of the of the native savage thing. So he said that was an unfortunate thing. He said the other element, and I thought this was interesting. He said there's one scene that he objected to. It's actually a very, it's, and I can see I can see both arguments. I see why man was like, well, we have to keep it. It's the scene where it's the climactic, it's set up to the whole the climax of the movie where the women are brought by Magua to the Huron chief and means in, in his essay as the quote-unquote African village scene. He's like, it's this trope of, you know, movies set in a- Africa with, you know, the colonial troops where the white woman is brought in front of the chieftain and argued for and bargained and bargained and bargained for and and, and, and whatnot, which makes absolute sense, his argument. I'm sure, man, I'm sure man's argument was if we don't have this scene, we can't end the movie. Um, that said, while, while I would... the the what he does do is that's if there's any defense to be had of the scene it's that he is able i think very deftly in that scene to um, articulate the various arguments of the various factions uh, to your point emily kind of the political reality of the time where there's a wonderful line that the chief has where he says i'm, I'm a paraphrase where he says you know when the, the white man came and night came with him or something like that where it's like this this happened to us and we've had to figure out over the last several hundred years what that yeah. what, what the hell to do and magua you know is 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 posing a very a very distinct uh point of view in the scene that is goes far beyond you know revenge 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 killing even though that's a huge part of his character so e- even even that scene which i which means found fault in in terms of its very setup man does as best he can i think to 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 elevate it from you know what it what it would normally be certainly in the source material even what would normally be in a movie of that kind you know um so it's it's it's, so it's an and i had never watched this movie with that um with those glasses on it's been it's been about 15 years since i've seen it and so it was interesting watching it i was a little worried that it would be i was turning it on i was like oh man i hope I wonder what this is going to be like. And, you know, it's got its moments where you go, mm, mm-hmm, and, sure. and, and and even in just its very, as you say, Emily, the very setup of it is just, you know, it's, it's a white guy, so blank. Um, but that, but it, it manages to, in spite of all that, from my, you know, from my white male view, um, hold up pretty well, considering. I think it's also, you know, worth noting in terms of the action sequences and the sort of the, the, the severity of them and mm. the realism of them um, and seeing the, uh, 
the brutality of both sides, right? Oh, yeah. That that this is that that both sides of these fights are are for all intents and purposes sort of in the wrong to some degree or another. Um, but I do I, I wanted to talk about the action scenes for a second because um, the the first sort of I'm trying the the first sequence that jumped out at me was the the ambush. Um, which is relatively early on. Um, and the, the, it is so, I, I, I can't sort of maybe articulate this as well as I'd like, but I'll, I'm going to try. I, I do feel as though um, the sort of the, the 90s and early 2000s of the kind of, and I don't want to tag Bruckheimer with this necessarily, but I feel like we lost so much geography and understanding of an action sequence and that it became a forced sense of motion, punching into things that you don't really understand where you are. Um, The the choices of when to go handheld and locked off felt arbitrary. Um, And this is the exact opposite of that. The, the, The geography, Michael Mann is obviously one of our, our greatest action filmmakers because it's surgical to him, right? You can tell that it's every nuance and every camera angle is intentional. Uh, and the choices of when they would pop in to these handheld, you know, tussles between people or fights between people. And then when, you know, the shot that you mentioned earlier, Emily, when it's just real wide and you're just seeing both of these factions just come at each other and you are given a full sense of the scope and the, and the magnitude of what's playing out in front of you. Um, James Cameron, obviously another phenomenal action director who you just know exactly where you are. And, and I can't mm-hmm. articulate how fucking important that is and how much we need it back. And I think to some degree we've gotten it back a little bit, but um, I fucking hate feeling as though I'm just not having any sense of where I am in the space and what's actually, and these action scenes throughout this entire film are so beautifully orchestrated. This is, this is a, this is a bit of a tangent, but do you find this as increased as you've gotten older? Because it has for me when I was like a teenager when I was in my twenties, I I like, I think um, the Bourne movies. The Bourne movies are actually really well staged, but like it's they're so chopped up and <laughs> so hard to so tell. Nauseous, but okay. And like okay, so it's I at the, like back then I was like I could not get enough of that shit, and now like I'm very much some of that is how much of this is done in a computer now, which makes it harder sure. to establish sure. geography. But yeah, I I'm, I've a, definitely I think that's a big part of it. The computer. Yeah. I've gotten crankier as I've gotten older. So well, it's, yeah. you know, I, I was listening to, and this is going to seem like a tangent, but it does make sense. Um, I was, I was listening to an episode of blank check and they were talking about um, the new Ant-Man movie and how, because the whole thing takes place in the quantum realm, there's no sense of scale. So you don't know when Ant-Man is big and when Ant-Man is small. So they literally have to say when he's big and when, like it comes out with dialogue. So be like, wow, you're real big in this scene or wow, you're real small in this scene because there's no spatial awareness. And, and that's just, that's exactly what we're talking about. To be fair, we also, we also have to do that on this podcast. We have to point out when we're big and when we're small because people can't see us. Small in this episode. It's crazy. Why are you so tiny? It's like how we have to point out every week that I look just like Margot Robbie. So people know that. Right. Yes. Yes. But do you know what I'm saying, uh, Brian? In terms of no, these, it's, I, I agree. You know, I, and I think I think I think I, I agree with both. But we both have said I think it's it's the geography and it is the 
it is the computer of it all. What struck me when I was watching it was when we were in the fort. Um, oh, what's the name of the damn? Yes, uh, it is called. I have. It's right a real, here. and this is, and it's interesting. It's called it's Fort Cooper. William Henry. Thank you. It fort was William Henry, constructed is for a, six million dollars. Incredible. They just, yeah, they went and they fucking built it in the middle they of the mountains the in North Carolina. Um, <laughs> and yes, and uh, incidentally, uh, a real. This was a real attack. There was a it was. Colonel Monroe is actually a real guy that Fenimore Cooper kind of fictionalized, and that's kind of interesting. But um, I was struck in that scene by again the relative simplicity and elegance of the staging of that battle, where now you would have a computer flyover shot with all the impressive. CGI enhanced battlements and whatnot yeah. that would move through and look, my fucking show did this nine times too. So I mean, I I was gonna I, I did one. He who is without sin, but um, you know, <laughs> that's what now. But that it's become so. And look, they can be those shots can be really great as yeah. Usually they were on our show. Um, uh, but uh, I was sort of struck in this one with oh no, they just you know there are I, I <laughs> there are wides and there are, <laughs> there's coverage and. I understand it. And, and and if anything, I feel more like I'm there. I mean, I, I you know, all of well, the kind of grunt work done now to sort of show you everything in some ways uh, holds you more at a distance, if that makes those, sense. Well, you're also, those... you're also tapping into the tactility of what we're watching too. Yes, they indeed. built yes. this shit. They built it. <laughs> yeah. Yes, They're shooting was. actual cannons. Yeah. <laughs> those know? big, those big sweeping shots you refer to, Brian, um, when they are done particularly well, have that effect of orienting you geographically. Yes. I'm think, I'm thinking. In addition to your show, I'm thinking of um, Lord of the Rings, the Peter Jackson just, movie. Oh, of course, like, like the two do towers. that, do that so beautifully. But One, then yes. it became just like a trope of like, look what we can do. Look at all this stuff, mm-hmm. and it's not used. To establish geography, um, actually, I, I I'm going to bring this movie up again. I think Avatar: The Way of Water does a similar thing and does, uses it perfectly to establish where everybody is in that mm. final action sequence, including a depressed whale. So, <laughs> well, yeah, and and certainly, I yeah, and and yes, the the the, the real the directors who know what they're doing can like Cameron, uh, you know, uh, it, it's it's utilized well, but I I. I, I yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think now it's just sort of become uh, a cliche in a way. You know, this is well here now we have this shot where we you know do this and you and 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 it was just I was sort of struck by how low how tech. how lo-fi it was, how low tech it felt. You know, yeah. um, in that in that scene and in all the sequences, even even the ambush sequences, which are very you know very simple. There's just, it's a patch of the, woods, you know, and the and a, siege and a few sequence people and that you're speaking of the fort under siege yeah. is one of those things that I, you know, I, I also found myself thinking a little bit of uh, Lord of the Rings. Cause I do think that those first three films do such a great job of um, real and CG, right? Like there, yes. there is, when you think, and forgive me, what the, in uh, two towers, the big battle, Helm's Deep, um, exactly. Helmsteep, yeah. Which is a perfect example of, they built that shit. You can tell there's people mm-hmm. there and they'll punch out and give you a big, crazy CG shot. But, but you know, 90% of the time, 95% of the time, they're going to be on a set and you're going to feel the realness of these situations. Uh, this, the siege sequence that you're talking about, um, you know, you, you are seeing real gunpowder. You are seeing real cannon fire. Like it, it, I guess, you know, just to not to belabor the point, but to underline it, 
we don't really do this so much anymore, right? Like I imagine that if and when Chris Nolan decides to, I mean, I guess Dunkirk's a good example of it in the sense that like that shit was all happening. Um, you know what I mean? He, he's he's a guy who wants it to look real. Well, now um, now that's indulgent. Correct. Now doing now doing it now doing it this way would be indulgent so and expensive. You know, that's, that's, <laughs> like that's so oh, depressing. He, he's building the actual fort in the woods and shooting it with in camera. The fuck is wrong with him? You know, um, yeah, that's, no, that's true. the thing. It's true. Uh, and even then, it was to a degree indulgent. And, and look, the, the crew, the, I think the crew went on strike. And at one point, the it's true. In, you know, the extras went on strike. There's a wonderful story. Daniel Day Lewis is like on the picket line with the uh, indigenous extras, which I just love. Yeah. Um, I mean, I do think that, you know, uh, I, I think that Spielberg still, I mean, I, I think about War Horse. I, I mean, I do think that he's. You know, sure. uh, and 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 I guess to a degree, uh, 1917. But I, I want to kind of there, there's a moment that really hit me, and I don't know if you guys caught it. Um, it's near the middle of the movie, uh, or maybe the first third, um, when uh, Hawkeye's uh, friends, for lack of a better way of putting it, are are murdered, and they yes. don't bury the bodies. And they don't Mm. do anything with the bodies because they don't want to leave a trail that they've been there. Right. Um, And, and Cora doesn't understand and thinks that it's disgraceful and what have you. And, and Daniel D. Lewis's voice breaks just the tiniest Mm. bit when he says they stay as they lay. And it just fucking got me where I was just like, it's, it's not a, like there's nothing showy about it, but it's just everything in his character, just like really in that one moment. Really powerful stuff. Yeah, I mean he's he's he's, he's perfect in this movie. I don't you know. That's <laughs> all there is to it. I mean, it's just it's yeah. perfect. It's uh, and it's one. It's funny, and the movie's a successful movie, and a well-known movie. But I, 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 maybe you would both agree. I don't think this is one that's a performance that's always um, held up with you know the yeah. Phantom Threads and the Lincolns and the There Will Be Bloods. And I think it's every bit as I agree. You know, it's, uh, it's iconic. Ju- it's just as hard to be the matinee idol as it is to be, you know, Reynolds Woodcock or Daniel Plainview or whatever like that. Obviously, I think uh, one is more, quote unquote, awards worthy, by which I don't mean that, like, you know, this performance is not awards worthy, but that we have sort of arbitrarily decided as a society what is mm-hmm. what has value in that those terms. Sure. But, yeah, it's it's just as hard to be the compelling, super hot guy who does everything perfectly and is super hot all the time because well, like, you know, it's funny. You bring I that try up. every day. I, I, but... <laughs> I mean, and you're successful at it every day. So, I mean, but I, I, I'll just say that it's funny you bring that up because, you know, we've talked about James Cameron a little bit, but you know, he kind of had to get inside Leo's head to convince him to do Titanic. And part of it was what you just said, Emily, which was Cameron being like, I know you think that it's easy to do this shit, but this shit's, <laughs> as hard if not harder to do than yeah. the showy you know uh you know for lack of a better way of putting it the daniel day lewis-esque type awards you know oscar Beatty roles and i and i would agree with you emily that you know daniel day lewis doesn't really do this again but i do think that uh he shows that he can as you said earlier emily like i could do this it's fucking hard and i can do it uh, I just choose not to. <laughs> but... what? Do we think James Cameron should bring Leo back for Avatars 4 and 5? I think he should. I think he should play uh, Stephen has, Lang's other kid. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, You don't know. You don't know. He might be in... Uh, those the, they've been doing in those, the seed those bear. He might be the seed bears. 
What, what if Leo's playing? What if Leo's playing Payakan the Tulkun outcast? Like we just don't realize it. It's all mocap, and he doesn't have any dialogue. So, but I, I, there's still time. I mean, there's still time. There's still time. But yeah, I um, think uh, yeah, what I find. Right. No, I was just gonna remark that given how um, you know what a force Day Lewis is in the film. Yeah, one of the great, uh, again, one of the kind of great strokes of the movie, though, is that is that those final twelve minutes, which, yes. by the way, I've seen this movie. I've probably seen this movie thirty times. I you, I don't I don't breathe during those twelve minutes. Those final twelve minutes, they are the most just sustained, it's it's the most great, sus- yeah. the most sustained kind of raw emotion and suspense and exhilarating action i think you know and not a word of dialogue just that mm-hmm. that promontory thing <laughs> but i think it's fascinating that that man in his um construction of the film uh those final 12 minutes do not belong to hawkeye and cora mm-hmm. you know i mean hawkeye still gets that's that's where he, he gets to shoot the guy with the two the two guns yeah. he has a couple of little hero, action hero moments and and uh, that's when he's loading the powder and everything on the run. But um, the, the those final 12 minutes belong to Uncas, Chingachuk, and, 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 um, and uh, Alice and Jody May, who, yes. and it's such an incredible magic trick. Every time I see it, I actually worked with Jody May for a day on Game of Thrones. She, oh, that's cool. So, okay, remember that weird scene in the beginning of season five when it's the only time we ever did a non brand vision flashback. And it's when little girl season five opens with a little little girl Cersei going to a fortune teller by which that's yeah. Jodie May. Oh, that's I was Pog. I was like I was like why do I love Jodie May watching this? And I went and looked it up and I was like oh she's in she's in that fucking Game of Thrones episode. She's so fucking good. She's yeah. great. She did a great job. It was a day. It was yeah. you know one day and and uh, uh, you know she's I think she mainly does has done a lot of theater in, in the intervening years and a lot of work in England and stuff and and uh, she came on and. Uh, killed it you know and it, and it was a tricky scene and it was unlike the kind of scene we usually did on the show we were a little nervous about it she was great um but i i i never i would hardly ever do this with actors that i admired who i was working with on the show but i i couldn't i couldn't help it i was like listen i'm sorry because i know you get this all the time about a role you played when you were like sure. 17 years old but but um alice monroe on that cliff is one of the single it is it is at, at, at it is it it is at once the most maybe the most beautiful any human being has ever looked on film and also the most yeah. just gut-wrenchingly haunting horrifying and yet at the same time transcendent and beautiful moments i've never seen and she she nodded it was the kind of thing where she was like yeah i know like <laughs> Like I have, well, she's I, also been pretty outspoken about the fact that like most of her performances on the editing room floor, unfortunately. Well, that's and, what's well that, and that's what I was going to say is is what's strange about it is she makes no impression whatsoever in the during the movie. Yeah. Uh, not not, not her fault. She's barely. Yeah, she's he barely. doesn't cut to her. He's cutting to yeah. Cora. Yeah. Um, so that when they, but I I and I don't know why I I I like to think that it was by design where he wanted her to just sneak up on you in this moment. Sure. It's it, it's somewhere it's somehow weirdly all the more effective that you haven't really been with her that well, I guess then, they... that then you just key in on her in this moment and you realize, "Oh, I haven't even none of us and no one there has seen this woman." 
until but this I would, moment. I, I don't disagree. Does that make sense? It does, but I'm also I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit just to say that you know when if you're in the editing room and you have that footage, right? You know that you've got that ace up your sleeve, and that she just absolutely crushes the end of the movie. On some level, you've got to be thinking to yourself, I can sprinkle her in here so lightly because mm-hmm. I know that this is going to is going to fucking kill it at the end. Yes. Which is, I think we're sort of saying the same I think, thing. I, that's what but, I'm saying. I think, yeah, I yeah, think it's yeah. almost by design that you're not keying in on her so that when yeah. you do, yeah. it kind of... It knocks it, you down. It, yeah. like, it knocks you sideways. I mean, it yeah. is just, there's she's there's so much going on. And then to flip it, you know, uh, West Studi's performance as magua in that moment where he sees her yep. he sees the monroes as human beings for the first time in that he moment. outreached bloody hand yeah i believe he really is That's i believe right. in that moment he's like don't jump don't jump maybe it's gonna be okay yeah. <laughs> like I, there's but but, it, but again that, that, again it's when it's when movies when movies just trust <sighs> when movies just trust the audience to interpret sure. what those moments are sure. You know, like yeah. I don't necessarily know what Magua's thinking in that moment, and mm-hmm. I know Wes Studi knows what he's thinking, mm-hmm. but I don't have to. I don't have to know. Does that make sense? Uh, it's That's just, yeah. it's just, it's just, it's magic, and 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 Uncas as well. You know, Eric Schweig in that sequence. Yeah. Um, but it's just such a, it's such a powerful statement that that the movie makes where. It, this thing has really been keyed in on our two leads and indeed our conversation up until this point has mainly been keyed in on the two yeah. leads and then he g- gives the movie to yeah. uh magua alice um it's just it's it's astonishing there's and i think i think that's also a statement to the power of how people looking at each other on screen in a movie like this the fact that the Alice and Uncas thing becomes so central to the story. And mm. when, it, well, when it came up, I was like, how are they going to earn this? And then you just see sort of the characters having these pained expressions and you're like, Oh yeah, of course I buy it. Wonderful. Perfect. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, I, and, I do. Yeah. I, I, I wanted to sort of, you mentioned this uh, a second ago, Brian, but like the, the propulsion and the tension that this movie is able to build is is really unbelievable. I, I think I'm thinking about like prior to that that two sort of the two armies fighting, mm-hmm. and there's just this tension where they're sensing that they're around, um, oh, and yeah, just that, that yeah. slow kind of twisting. You mean when uh, you mean when they're ambushed the second before ambush, the before they. Yeah, it's, it's it's basically once it's before the Huron warriors attack and massacre the uh the, the, tr- the retreating troops yes, after correct, the yes correct. yes oh that yes. sequence is unreal and it's, it's when yeah. it's when like uh I think Hawkeye gets away and like is able to get that whole thing yeah um and then you got like fucking cutting his heart out just just, just rad just fucking crazy shit that's going yeah. on like this movie's like so low-key really violent <laughs> like this oh, yeah it's, it's really uh it's it's kind I mean, of amazing, not my but... socks as a young kid i mean i was how old was i I was 12 yeah was this 12, was one of the most violent yeah. things i'd ever been allowed to watch Absolutely. I, I think because it's historical parents sort of let you watch it yeah and but like <laughs> you know getting a fucking axe through his body at the end like it's 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 yeah. good shit i do want to just uh one sequence that i would argue I didn't think worked so great is the boat chase. I think that the oh, boat really? chase is tough because 
they're not moving very fast and the score is doing a lot of help in terms of keeping that you know keeping it moving um but and there are shots where the camera is like on water level and you're really sensing the movement Mm. but when it's a wide shot and the thing's just a canoe and it's moving like you know a canoe moves you gotta think they were they were in the editing room and they were like oh god (laughs) canoes don't go very fast do they it's, like, it, we gotta it, we gotta amp this up with some but then like they go over waterfalls i mean like it gets dramatic but like it it's it is one of the sequences where i felt a little bit like this could have you could have made it just a little shorter but i mean yeah. I, I, I loved it I, I, I loved learned. it i've always loved it i just too. i just i just like boats honestly that's literally it was just like i was i was just watching i was like they fucking built these boats these are great boats yeah, i I, you know, I guess this is going to be a theme. I hope it can upcoming. I just like boats, and when there's a boat on screen, I am excited. So, even uh, even speed two cruise control, were you excited during that too? <laughs> Listen, under siege, I I looked oh, I looked on our wiki. I looked on our wiki to see what I'd given it, and I was like, I gave that movie a sixty six, and I remembered it is set on a boat, and that is <laughs> really, a classic is, weakness yeah. of it's mine. A classic boat movie, really. It's one of the classics. Uh, well, what's fun about the boat chase is it's just again, it, it it goes down to the the roots of this thing, which is just a boy's adventure. Like yep, what's what's yep, kind of yep. funny about the movie is, you know, it's it's a classic. Let's get from point A to point B, kind of yeah. you know, and there's chases and little rest stops in between. I mean, I guess that's what ebert is sort of referring to as, yeah. as maybe a veiled criticism it's funny there there are things this movie the movie was well re, well received um yeah. at the time but uh when you read some of the criticism it's like well at its heart it's this which mm-hmm. to me i'm like yeah that's it's all the more impressive that at at it at its heart is it's yes. this like <laughs> well but to, to, you, you know, know it's, that that, you... that recommends it <laughs> Well, you mentioned this earlier, and it's worth it's worth repeating. But like the last twelve minutes of this movie um, are pretty wordless. There's not a lot of dialogue. It's it is it yeah. is a really propulsive, beautiful score that is really moving you through this. Um, it's it's looks, it's understanding of dynamics because of what you've watched in the previous two out two and a half hours, whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's beautifully shot. Uh, it is. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a tremendous sequence. It's also a slow burn in the sense that like it's just drama. You are seeing drama in front of you, perfectly orchestrated. Mm-hmm. Um, it definitely feels like a filmmaker who knows what he's got. He's got you in the palm of his hands, and he's going to give you a, a, a tremendous crescendo to the movie. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, I, I. I Watching this movie for the first time, I did find myself, you know, the the the, the machinations of what's going on between uh, the, the the French and the and the Indians and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'd be lying if I said that I completely understood all of it, because I do feel like I was lacking a little bit of the historical context. Because spoiler, I'm Canadian and I don't know a lot about like. This. Yeah, that's something that repeat viewings help. The French, the yes. French and Indian Wars were also fought in Canada, Phil. So, oh sure, yeah, okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah, cool. It, it, it's called. I, I think the technical. I think it's technically the, the Seven Years' War. Yeah, Seven Years' War. Now. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. But like, yeah, and that that helps. That comes. I will say, Phil, to make you feel better about it. I mean, that's definitely something that comes with repeat viewings and sure. on the makes 30th the movie viewing. 
Well, no, but I mean, just it, it, yes. it does. Yes. I, I, I'm sure the first time you see it, truly, like you are just kind of it. You're just caught up in just the yeah. emotion yeah. of it all. And but, but it is a fascinating political time. I mean, it was these this this war that you know where the there's certain certain tribes you know uh, linked up with certain sides, and 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 there yeah. and 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 this is before you know this is before we we fucking you know displaced them and made them all walk west you know this this was when this was a time pre-revolutionary war where there was a sort of a, a coexisting trying to happen and 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 that and that era of american history has very rarely been depicted in any movie you know yeah, um, i mean that so is the thing, that thing about it yeah i just I, and you know forgive me it's just it's a part of history that i don't know a ton about and it's not to say that sure. i'm not interested in it yeah. but it all kind Most of people don't yeah. i mean it's not very well covered the french yeah. indian yeah French and Indian War in yeah. films, you know. Um, so um, I want to rate this because Brian, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on what we're covering next week as well. Um, oh, okay. So um, I didn't see this in '92. Obviously, I had not seen this film before. Um, before this podcast, I was at an '84, and now I'm going to go up to a '89. Um, I, 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 it's a great movie. Um, I think it's a movie that I will absolutely watch again. And to your point, mere minutes ago will get better with repeat viewings. I think that when I'm able to yeah. sort of uh, be able to process more of the political machinations of what's going on, it'll only enrich the film. But I mean, it's, it's a banger. It's everyone's hot and the music's <laughs> rad and they shoot fucking cannons. It's like, what it was, what else do you really need in the movie? But Emily, where are you at? Oh boy. I saw, I didn't see this in 92. Um, it's not the other movie I saw in theaters. Um, it is a movie that, uh, I have seen. Uh, I can't remember. I think it was something I just watched in college or something. Um, but I had very little memory of it. Uh, I watched it yesterday to do this and was gripped throughout, just really blown away. Um, really thought it was a fantastic time a fantastic thing to watch uh coming in i was probably 90 i think i'm gonna go up to 92 uh i i'm i you know i'm uh uh i'm not a huge i like michael mann a lot i'm not someone who like says i love michael mann movies like i don't have a ton of them in my tops of all time this is this is a side of him i i you know it's it's an interesting way that he uses his talent to make this film and uh like you said, Phil, everybody's hot. Uh, not doing a not doing a '90s queer phobia scale on this because it's a movie that is, you know, set in the 1750s and doesn't really touch on these topics. I'm going to introduce a new scale, which is called the Emily, uh, which is called the Emily, uh, 12 year old Emily discovering her bisexuality scale. And on that, this is a 10. This is That's a straight up 10. Sure. <laughs> I think a lot of bisexuality was probably discovered. Yeah. Yes. I think Daniel Day Lewis <laughs> probably movie. changed a lot of people uh, for the better. Um, but uh, Brian, so you didn't see this in '92, but you saw this probably, you know, I would have seen it in '93. Yeah. When, when did it? When did it come out in '92? What's it said? September. Uh, September. So probably. Yeah, so I would have seen it. I would have seen it in '93 yeah. when it was on videotape. Hundred then, hundred now. I mean, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean it. It really is yeah. one of the. I mean, it's my favorite movie of 1992. It's why I wanted to do it. Sure, um, sure. It, uh, it, it, it's uh, I've seen it countless times. It was a truly formative movie in terms of how I appreciated screen acting through mm. Day Lewis, how I um, appreciated just 
film film as a storytelling medium because of all the things we've been talking about the just just the, the overwhelming craft of it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then in terms of just storytelling and in, and in many ways it probably subconsciously informed a lot of the kind of things i've worked on just you know a movie that plays for keeps that pulls no punches that is uh, you know uh frankly it's a gold standard of a movie that is uh, you know as someone who wrote a brutal show uh, or wrote on a brutal show uh when you're doing it right it you, you the brutal the brutality is tempered by a uh, a, a a real humanity and a real empathy and uh, um you know a, a real um sincerity when you do it wrong and things sure. can go wrong sometimes uh that's a different experience and i think this movie is the gold standard of uh brutality told in a, in a in a way that is um where the brutality feels necessary and doesn't feel um exploitive if that makes sense um yeah, so yeah I, I i it really it, it it was a formative absolutely formative movie and 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 a text that i'll i i, I need to revisit more often and actually you know i'm working on a project right now that um that has a large element of indigenous characters in his historical mm-hmm. adventure and i'm i'm right now grappling with you know not grappling with but but setting this sort of sort of beginning to set this stage about how um i and and, and as, as a production we're going to you know um uh have voices in the room that are important voices that inform our storytelling which you know that is something this movie probably didn't have as much as 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 it would now and should have well then and now um but it's a good it's a good reference point to sort of look at and see how what it did right and 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 what it still you know where it still sure. could have done better if that makes sense. So yeah, hundred hundred. But but as an experience, this is as, as as a story. It's as pure story. It's a hundred, absolutely a hundred. Brian, when you said I am right now launching work on a project, I thought you were going to say that's that we got Daniel Day Lewis. He's back. I know, right? He's, he's in yeah. my, I'm actually he's in doing my... a thing with Daniel Day Lewis now, and so this is it was good to watch this. <laughs> I could, um, how, so so how could you next week, Brian, with him. Good Lord. Um, yes, next, next week. week. What are you talking about next week? Uh, so next week, Emily um, met her other husband, uh, oh. Cajun David Strathairn, uh, in oh, a little film called beautiful. Passion Fish. Um, oh, sure. The, wow. the, the John Sales film. Yeah. Um, and, you know, yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, a, a great movie. I, I, Emily, you will be proud of me. Um, Perhaps the other day, last night, I believe it was, um, my roommate and I have been doing a Sopranos rewatch. And um, the, there's a moment where David Strathairn appears in season five uh, yes. as, as a guidance counselor to AJ. Oh my God, and I completely forgot about that. We're, we're wow. outside his office and we hear him talking. And I turned to him and I was like, is that Strathairn? Like just his voice? And lo and behold, it, I was just like Emily will be so proud of me. But um, Passion Fish, John Sales, do you have yes. thoughts on 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 these these subjects? I've never seen Passion Fish, you so I'll have, watch watch I'll have to watch it's it. I'll have to watch it before. Remember when it's it came Peacock. out? You yeah, I remember when it, it came Peacock. out, and then she was nominated for the Oscar for it. Um, but no, I never saw it. So I'll. I'll uh, do you I'll watch are it. Uh, are there John Sales 
How do you feel about John Cena as a filmmaker? Because I think it's interesting. We talk about this. Joe Reed came on for the episode. Mm. Um, you know, everyone's uh, favorite podcaster. Uh, and he, um, it was a movie he was, you know, no pun intended, very passionate about, loves the movie, wanted people to watch it, wanted, it was his first movie that he wanted to talk about. Okay. I had not seen it. John Sales is one of those American filmmakers and that feels so, he's a bearing wall of, you know, independent american cinema sure um and yet i would argue that most people probably haven't seen more than maybe three or four of his movies at I, i'm one of those i have to say sales is a is, is a is kind of a hole in my in my movie going experience i mean i, I saw lone star and thought it was great sure. and uh and did he do laurel canyon no no um, costume. that's no no that's actually wait, are you talking about laurel canyon or you're talking about grand canyon what are you talking about grand canyon's uh, casden that's casden laurel canyon is uh uh Choladenka. Uh, oh, right, right, right. but what's okay there's something what's a canyon there's something like with a canyon that sales did Am I he has sunshine state is that what you're thinking of Fuck, i don't know anyway John Sales, i mean he did a great movie in 99 called limbo which i think you would really love yeah. which i highly highly recommend yeah. um he's emily goes deeper on john sales probably than i do um you've seen a fair amount of his films yeah um, not limbo but not yeah, no, I, it's it's a uh, it's no. I, he's he's definitely one of those that that I'm aware of, uh, sure. but have just not. So this is a good excuse to you know. I think you'd really like Passion Fish. It's a. I'm sure. I'm sure I would. I remember loving Lone Star. That's the one. That's oh, the one I saw. Yeah. Even at the time, for some reason, I just Secret I, of Ronin ish is a big Emily. Yeah. Favorite. Uh, that's that's my, one yeah. of my favorite movies. That is, okay. Uh, that that's on. one of my like. That's one of my favorite movies to watch with a kid. It's just Secret of Ronin ish is just a beautiful movie about teaching kids about death basically which mm-hmm. sounds which sounds like a lot but it's really not it's about like oh. what if your brother was a seal which is a question we've all had we've yeah. all asked that question. Sure. i mean the thing about sure. passion Fish, oh eight men out eight men out i go. love eight men that. out oh many go. times i there love eight men out yes. great movie, great movie. He, he is he's a really fascinating filmmaker we talk about him obviously his filmography a little bit uh passion fish great movie nominated for best actress with mary mcdowell um and uh sales got an adapted screenplay nomination or original, original. screenplay nomination yeah. mm-hmm. um it's just a really really good movie that if you if i was to tell you the log line of it you would never watch it so let's just say you should watch passion by and like okay. if, if you are if you are someone who listens to this podcast week to week is by far my biggest surprise doing this show oh it cool is, oh well it is a, it, it is you. a fantastic little movie she, i mean it should be said though i mean you met your husband while making it so it's it's yeah. you know there's there's i have so many husbands now <laughs> <laughs> Emily literally texted me while watching Passion Fish and was like, I need to find a hat. What, what, she has a baseball cap in Passion Fish. Just, is it trout? Is it just it's a, a picture of a trout and it says trout. And awesome. my wife was like, I need that hat. And I was like, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna find it. And now I've put Phil on the case. <laughs> We're, you, we're can find it. It. you can find but it it's, it's, a, it's a really great movie alfrey yeah. woodard uh we talk a lot about her right. in, in the film um she's amazing in the film uh angela bassett's in this movie everyone's oh. in this movie it's just wow. it's, it's a great great movie um and i do think that alfrey woodard as we talk about in the episode a little bit uh a bit of an unsung hero in terms of just a great filmography and yet Never was she gets nominated for 
she was not. Fish? No, I just remember. I just remember all the. Again, I'm like rem- yeah. flashing back to award season clips and sure, it's Mary sure, McDonald sure. Yeah. talking to Alfre Woodard. Yes, yes. In the clips, <laughs> she's. It's. It is a. Uh, yeah. I, I, the thing that hit me the most, not the most, but one of the things that hit me most watching Passion Fish was I was just like, Alfre Woodard is one of our best actors, and oh, I feel yeah, like, wonderful. um, it is is kind of, you know, given these roles in things and like she's just always better most of the time than the material and it just mm-hmm. it, it feels like um yeah. she's a she's just someone who i wish um got more stuff like passion fish and she's great so um so that's well, next I week watch it, read passion sure. fish. Uh, yeah. i think you will really like it brian thank you so so much for coming on thanks for having talking me. with us about a wonderful know, time your 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 man Hawkeye, uh, your your girl Cora, um, and I mean uh, they get yeah. to go have like hot babies on oh, the yeah. frontier. They, I mean she's gonna be pregnant in dates. Oh, <laughs> like it's not is, even front, nothing nothing better than a frontier baby. Like I have a <laughs> I have a weak city baby, and I love my weak city baby. <laughs> but I don't think that my like you put yeah. that baby outside, that baby's gonna fall apart. Five seconds. I just hope that they 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 went west or north. They went and found somewhere nice to settle down, sure. and you know. I'm just looking forward to to Emily's band, Frontier Baby. That's what I'm looking forward to. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're going to be great. Sure. Can I? Yes. Can I just can I just pitch on? I want to bring Please. Daniel Day Lewis back. I think I'm Paul Thomas Anderson try. came back. We got to we got to have Paul Thomas Anderson and Adam Sandler working the problem at the same time. Uh, the famous 1968 episode of laugh-in where richard nixon appears is this amazing like behind the scenes tv history story i think what you got to do you got to make have pta make a movie about that sandler plays either rowan or martin i don't care which one and daniel day lewis is is in a major supporting part as nixon because you know he's gonna spend six months perfecting the delivery of socket to me what's amazing is he could physically become nixon he That's could become how Nixon. insanely good he is, even though I, oh. there couldn't, he couldn't be farther from Nixon's physical. He could do, do it. Do you think that he'd ever do a comedy? If Sandler like, climbs the mountain, if Sandler climbs the mountain, it's like, here you go, bud. You're going to come and just, do. Grown no, that's Ups a good 3. question because he never did a he never did a full on comedy. No. I don't think. There's, There's an argument movie? that Phantom Thread is a dark comedy, and I guess sure. Phantom Thread. Is I mean, hilarious. nine nine is a musical comedy, I guess. Sure. But there is a movie and I haven't seen it. Um, yeah. that is some obscure. He would he made it like right before Night My Left Foot. And oh yeah, I, Ever it. Smile New Jersey. Yes, Ever Smile New Jersey. And he's he's like a reporter or something, kind of. And there's I'm looking people this around up right him, now. and I think that's a comedy. I mean, it's not like a you know. Uh, over, I mean, it's not like an Adam Sandler comedy, but it, it, am I correct? I, it looks it's, comedic. It's, it's about Fergus O'Connell, yeah. uh, an Irish-American dentist from New Jersey, offers his services free of charge to the isolated rural population of Patagonia in Argentina. Right. I, I mean, I, the hijinks. I mean, that's probably the closest we get. Probably. Okay. It's like okay. the year before my left foot, right? Yeah. New pitch. New pitch. Oh, no. PTA directs. Yeah. Sure. Adam Sandler, dedicated family man. Daniel Day-Lewis is a guy who really prioritized his career. They have a body swap. Shenanigans happen. <laughs> I mean, I, I, the thing is that... Oh yeah, it's fascinating to see... The, the thing about Daniel Day-Lewis, Adam Sandler. when you watch his Oscar acceptance speeches, especially the one for Lincoln, 
he talks about how him and Meryl actually swapped roles and that he was going to be the Iron Lady and she was going to oh, be Lincoln. And like, it's it's cute and it's funny and like everyone kind of gets a chuckle out of it. Right. He kind of milks it a little too long, but that's neither here nor there. I just think that the guy <laughs> kind of wants to crack people up a little bit. Like, I just feel like yeah. he's got it in him and I just wonder if he if he would ever yeah. do it. I, don't I mean, I, I, I don't... I agree with i think i forget which one which one of you said it but i, I don't think we've seen the last of him i, I think, don't think we've seen the last i think either. there's more i hope there's I, more brian a pleasure thank as you always. thank you both I, we, we we hope to have you back to talk about another one of your favorite films from 1992 whatever that might very well be yes, i have your certainly. name next to a bunch of movies on the list so we'll find mm. something else to get your dulcet tones and to oh, be wonderful. clear, Beethoven, Beethoven's still on the board. Nobody's Beethoven's playing Beethoven. Oh, if you want God. Beethoven, you can have it. I do not. Uh, I hated Beethoven then. <laughs> I suspect I would hate it now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Classic Groden, though. Um, sure. But anyway. Uh, yes. So you're going to be back. It'll be great. Um, and you are also uh, on an episode of the Patreon where we talk at length. Yeah about er we talk about the pilot we talk about the the series finale we talk about discussion we didn't cry i think we managed to not cry i got a little emotional a couple times but i didn't fully linger too much on carter and benton and therefore we didn't because i know how that gets you and that's that's that's, you know but um yes emily can i make you mad about er phil for like five seconds absolutely we started watching ER when my baby was first born, my wife and yes. I, and we got, we plowed through those first three seasons. We got stuck on season four and never went back. We just couldn't deal with it. It just well, didn't work. It wasn't working for us. Phil, you wasn't love working. season four. Yeah, season four is my favorite season. And I, I yeah. was, I professed this to Emily on text as well. Um, I mean, I like Anna Delamico, Dr. Anna Delamico. I think it- I think that just all you of the characters. Like the live episode. Yeah, I don't like. The live I, no, I love. I love. I fucking like love the live episode. Okay. The Actually, live episode's like great. I think like the 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 doctor. Like a lot of the characters just have arcs where I'm just like, not quite buying it. You know, it's just like a little a little too much. A little too much. You know. Yeah. I, I I'll just say this about season four. It is probably the most atypical season of the show. It feels like a show at kind of the peak of its powers that it wants to take some swings. It does some really dark storylines. There's a, there's a rapist who's raping old ladies and carving their stomachs. It's awful. Um, It's, it's a messy season intentionally. So, because I think there's, you know, there's kind of this elephant in the room, which is that Clooney's leaving in the middle of the next season. They know that's coming. There's just kind of, they're trying to make him and Carol happy. I remember you texted me about them recording the, them having sex. Their sex, tape, yeah. their sex tape, which I'm all for. Um, but uh, sex positive, Doug and Carol forever. But I, I, I <laughs> but I know what you're saying, Emily. Like I, I can understand why, um, you know, they took some swings and I can see why if you, you know, it, it, it's, it could bump people. And, and I, you know, I think we have two episodes left, so maybe we should just get through those to get to season five. Yeah. Cause then so. you get, you get Lucy in five, you know, she shows up. I fucking love Lucy. There you go. So Kelly Martin is my five. girl. There you go. Yeah. yeah. There you and go. then you yeah. get to see her stabbed. So it's great. I'm, I'm just, I'm being very quiet. because <laughs> I start talking about it. I know, I know. I know. And I don't want to, I don't like, want to literally start. I'm dying right now. I'm like, <laughs> I but here's the thing, Brian. In. As we mentioned, don't chime in. As don't we mentioned, future Patreon. ER Listen conversations. ER. It's going to be great. We're going to talk about it in the future again Oof. when we have the time. It's going to be great. No time. pressure. It's going to no. be great. 
Um, and uh, but more than anything, you're the best, best in the business, best in the podcasting. Do you that? Hear that? I'm the best in the business. Folks. Do you have anything you want to plug, Brian? Yeah, do you have anything to plug? Screen no. drafts that you've recorded recently? Oh, uh, probably. Anything coming up? Down- no, Emily not, just recorded a screen drafts. Yes. Oh, yeah. I'm excited to hear that one. Um, no, I've got a, I've got one coming up in March. But okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. I guess it's been announced. Uh, okay. I'm doing um 70s conspiracy thrillers with uh, that's exciting. Darren that's Navarro, a good one. who I've never uh, drafted with before, and uh, uh, I'm I'm actually very excited. That's those have been a fun. Those have been a. Do fun, you remember uh, back in the day, guys, when? Um, conspiracy theories weren't owned by the far right in this country. And yeah, but I think could, conspiracy theories were fun when they were ours. Conspiracy theories were fun. And, you know, yeah. the X-Files was okay to not trust them. I mean, I wrote a book yeah. about the X-Files. So, yeah, yeah. I I, yeah. I spent that whole time grappling. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. So yeah, I, I'm, uh, I'm curious fun. as to what your takeaways will be uh, on that draft, just because I think that yeah. um, there's some great, 70s conspiracy there's, there's, there's oh yeah and it's a, and it's a regular seven so it's a pretty it's a pretty tough one but talk about just environment that is fun i mean just that yes. grainy 70s conspiracy thing is just it's just great so yeah I, I guess i'm doing that and then no otherwise i'm I've, i'm working on a couple of things that we can't talk about yet but you know. listen let's hope and pray that we can talk about them someday that's, yes, that's that is the dream that's, of any writer in this town isn't, isn't right it now, though yeah. is to be able to talk about your projects in public <laughs> exactly <laughs> There's nothing wrong with this industry. It's not broken. Everything's great. Thank you so much, Brian. Thank you. Uh, you, We love you. Can't wait to have you back. Um, Appreciate it. Till next time, Emily, when we'll talk about your your next husband. It'll be great. I'm David Strothan, and I love Emily. (laughs) It's a beautiful Cajun. Uncanny. Uncanny. Thank you so much, Brian. We'll talk to you soon. Later. Bye-bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.